and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet Earth, the John Campus Show, brought to you in part by Mint Mobile, coming from right here on our YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, streaming, all sorts of good stuff. Sitting over here today, joining me on this Monday, Mr. <laughs> Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how you doing? John, I've been coming to grips with, I was watching the Queen's funeral, mm. which was moving. Um, it was very, uh, I just, I found myself touched by the whole thing. But then I realized that James Bond's status has changed. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's no longer he, Her Majesty's Secret no Service. It's no longer Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's His Majesty's Secret Service. And um, I'm wondering if that's the title of the next Bond film. And then you could make a female James Bond work under that context. Oh, they've already said they'll never do a female I know, James but I was just thinking. But His Majesty's Secret his, Service is totally a title they could go with now. His Majesty's Secret Service. That should be the title of the new Bond film. I, I am in complete agreement with you. Sitting beside him, of course, we got Chris Carr here today. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Had a, had a good weekend. Excited to get into topics with Rob later today. Talk about Constantine and stuff. We're talking about Constantine or Constantine. Boo. Also, well, uh, that was like hearing moop it. Also joining us over here, he's joining you guys in the live chat today. Ray Ora is here, hey, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Ray. what an episode last night. Uh, oh, it's uh, House of the Dragon. We're going to be talking about that a little bit moving forward. Damon. <laughs> Damon. My, my prince. <laughs> Not your prince. This is my prince. My prince only. This guy turns it up every episode. Let's do it. Turn and we'll talk about that, of course, in a bit. And of course, running the show today. Sitting back there, producer Jonathan Voico. Jonathan, how you doing? I'm doing okay. How's everybody else doing? Excellent. And uh, yeah, I got to say this quick, because you guys know I'm now, I take Fridays off now. I was shocked to hear you guys talking about episode four of Rings of Power, which I thought was easily the best episode of the series. Dare I say, it was finally, after not liking the first episode, it was finally the episode to me that made it, I said, now this is starting to look like the show that I have wanted it to be only to find out that y'all were crap-talking on it. I don't understand what's going on. I was a little sweeter than Rob. Probably. I tried to find something you to like. You did try to find stuff to I like, was and really... I was really proud of you. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I just, it's just for me, I'm sitting there, I'm like, finally, the show is finally, after four freaking episodes, it's finally starting to look like the show I want I to be. it's just Galadriel. Y'all crapped on it. I think it's just Galadriel for me right now, where I'm like, okay, well. Oh, she's completely unlikable. This. Yeah. But I, I kind of like, like, there's a, there's a trend in a lot of, movies and shows to make your heroes and your heroines like almost infallible. And I kind of like the fact that they're taking an approach is like, this girl's got some growing to do. Yeah. And, and I, I really like, but whatever, we're not here. It to did introduce that. my favorite character now. Who is that? Our dark elf. Oh yes. Yeah, I yeah, want him yeah. to win. <laughs> I want well. him to win. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, and don't forget, today is Monday. That means a little bit later today at, uh, well, I don't have an exact time of what time we'll post it live, but uh, it's not going to be live. It's pre-recorded. But a little bit later today, we're going to be putting up our new show, which is a returning show, of course, which is The Weekly Hero. And Weekly Hero, last week we had our first episode back. Of course, it's hosted by Chris Carr and Robert Meyer Burnett. And we will have our next episode going up. We're recording it this afternoon. Mm -hmm. It'll go up a little bit later tonight. So you guys keep your eyes open open for that and of course don't forget later today at 3 p.m pacific standard time we will be doing our game of thrones house of the dragon open spoiler discussion after show so uh, we hope that you guys will come on back and join us for that we'll talk a little bit about it this episode in a non-spoilery way 
All right, guys, listen, we've got an absolutely packed show today. So let's get things started with an off the top. And the first one is this. Now, of course, the movie world is all abuzz that Avatar 2 is allegedly finally coming out. <laughs> and a part of that coming out is that they are re-releasing the original Avatar remastered in 4K, HDR, even a little bit of high frame rate, uh, all that kind of magical goodness. And they've started to release some trailers for it and all that kind of stuff. And it's just going to pad its lead over Endgame as the biggest movie of all time when it does. But here's something interesting. James Cameron, good Canadian kid, by the way, was recently being interviewed about like the original Avatar. And apparently Fox Studios, before Avatar came out, went back to him with notes saying they, number one, they wanted the movie shortened. And number two, they wanted a lot of the, they thought a lot of the flying sequences were unnecessary. And uh, they, they wanted him to remove them. Well, James Cameron, a very interesting James Cameron, who at the time was the maker of the number one box office movie of all time at that time, which was Titanic. He had an interesting response to them. This comes from the folks at Variety. James Cameron revealed in a recent interview with the New York Times that he shut down 20th Century Fox executives when they tried to battle him over key sequences in Avatar. Cameron rejected the studio's notes to make the film shorter and trim the movie's flying sequences by telling the executives that he directed Titanic and thus paid for a large portion of 20th Century Fox Studios' lot. The Cameron goes on to say, I think I felt at the time that we clashed over certain things, Cameron said. For example, the studio felt the film should be shorter and that there was too much flying around on the Ikran, which the humans called banshees. Well, it turns out that what the audience, that's what the audience loved the most in terms of our exit polling and data gathering. And that's a place where I just drew a line in the sand and said, you know what? I made Titanic. This building that we're meeting in right now, this new half a billion dollar complex on your lot, yeah, Titanic paid for that. So I get to do this. Now, now he softens up a little bit in, in his next uh, paragraph. He says, um, he says, and afterwards they thanked me, Cameron said, I feel that my job is to protect the studio's investment often against their own judgment. But as long as I protect their investment, all is forgiven. So, wow. <laughs> you want to talk about some brass ones. Fox comes to Cameron and says, you got to cut this, you got to cut this. And he says, yeah, you know the biggest film of all time? Yeah, I made that. You know this new fancy building you're sitting in? Yeah, I paid for that, so I get to do this. And it's just, now look, it should be pointed out because there are going to be some people right now they are going to be saying, more directors should do that. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, because exactly of what James Cameron said, he was the creator of, at that time, the biggest box office film in history. He was bankrolling the studio at that time. There are very, very, very few directors ever in history who have been in a position of leverage like James Cameron was at that time, and then even more so when his biggest film of all time, Titanic, got beat by his new biggest film of all time, uh, Avatar. And I, I, so I don't think you can hear, and we're going to hear stories of other directors really doing that. Maybe somebody with the last name Spielberg, maybe? Who's that? Yeah, I've ne never heard <laughs> of him. Some Jewish kid. Uh, Kids coming out today. of the, Yeah, he's an upcomer. He's got a bright future, this one. <laughs> Um, maybe, but still it is kind of funny hearing this story, but anyway, Rob, you hear this story. What do you take away from it? Well, first of all, I love James Cameron. God bless the man. But you know, I think it shows it, it, there is a, 
there's this conventional wisdom in Hollywood that, especially at the executive level, if they don't understand sense of wonder. And I think that the flying scenes in Avatar, especially when Jake Sully first gets on one of those benches, yeah, yeah. that sequence truly inspires a sense of wonder. And when you see it in IMAX 3D, it was absolutely jaw-dropping. Because, first of all, the, the shots, the effects are insane. But, you know, we've all, humans all have, we've always dreamt of flying. And those sequences when he's, he's um, flighting, flighting, he's, he's flying with the Teary, you know, next to her. It, it's a courtship ritual. It's romantic. It's exciting. It's and visually it's, stunning. It's one of the most stunning effect sequences ever. And, yeah, does it last a long time? It does. But if you're a member of the audience that's seeing this for the first time and is not a jaded studio exec that, that's looked through various cuts of this movie, there is a true sense of wonder in that scene that cinema has not created many times in its past. And I, I'm really looking forward. To, dude, I'm going this weekend. I'm going to see Avatar. I got tickets to go see it at Universal to see it in, in IMAX again because specifically for that sequence – because it's always elicited joy, a certain joie of even me. And Cameron was right in this case. Look, sometimes, like you said, filmmakers are in collaboration with the studio. It is a collaborative effort. You need to be working with, if you've got great execs, it's a collaborative medium, just like it is when you're making the film, because the studio is going to release the movie. They have to be happy with it, too. Yeah. And so it's their money. It's mm-hmm. their money. So it is, and, and normally look, but sometimes when you're Cameron... You know better. Like, everybody bets against the man. They're always betting against him. Every time. Every time. And the audience is betting against him now. You know, and it's it's never bet against John, I mean, Jimmy Steve. As a matter of fact, I just saw somebody in our live chat saying maximum Avatar 2 makes $500 million. Max. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you're right. Everybody is in They're the like 22. Betting. <laughs> everybody's in the betting against James Cameron business. Mm-hmm. And the win record of betting against James Cameron is approximately 0%. At this point. Anyway, Chris, you read the story. What stands out to you? Oh, man. I mean, there's a difference between being conceited and knowing when you're the best. It's a very fine line. (laughs) And James is towing it. But (laughs) I I do think that is part of the collaborative process, too, is when you get to say, no, no, this is what works. Let me do this. We'll try to meet in the middle on a few other things. But this is something that needs to stay in here. Because piggybacking off of what Rob was saying there was so much showing instead of telling in that moment, right? You see how Jake Sully is not fa- only just falling in love with one woman, but with an entire people, with an yes. entire culture and ideology. 100%. And you don't have that if you nix those flying scenes. And obviously they're magical as hell. That's the stuff everyone talks about. That's why there's rides at Disney about them. I mean, they're gorgeous. So I'm glad he said the the softer statement afterwards. Yeah, it's so my he, job to protect their yeah, investment. And I think that's probably the better way to go about it. <laughs> but I also understand having a moment of, I, I know what I'm doing, so let me just do my job. Also, to say that those get rid of the flying scenes, that just proves to me that that executive soul was dead. Oh, He was well, dead inside. No romanticism. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about that? We're on the precipice of a new Avatar film. We got the original coming back out and James Cameron's telling stories about when he said, oh, thanks for those notes. I got to put them right up here on the fridge where everybody can see them, but I'm not going to do anything with them. What do you guys think about that? Jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys, with that down, let's get into another off the top here, shall we? And uh, this isn't going to come as a big surprise to many people. That off the top is this. Now, of course, Sony has 
had uh, some mixed bags released uh, recently. Of course, they killed it with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I think might be the best Spider-Man movie ever made. Uh, they had great success with Venom and Venom 2. And along came Morbius, which I think Ray might have actually nope. finished. No, nope, Ray still has not finished <laughs> watching it. That's a great name for a sequel. Along came Morbius. Along came Morbius. <laughs> Tell you what, we fired up uh, we fired up the Chromecast the other day and, and went on to it. And it says, continue watching Morbius. And it's like, who the hell is watching Morbius? I'm like, it's <laughs> Who the Ray. hell has watched Morbius this many Ray. times? Ray. Who's going <laughs> to heed a message that says, continue watching Morbius? <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, that's your brother. Ray, Ray is watching Morbius. Um so, I mean, they had a, a very bad outing with Morbius, but they got a couple of projects that are coming that look interesting. Had no interest in Madam Web, but with all the latest information that came out about it, I, I've actually started getting pretty damn intrigued by Madam Web, even though I wasn't interested at all while. And I have very much been looking forward to Craven the Hunter, especially once they uh, cast um, uh, Kick-Ass. Uh, why am I freezing? Aaron Taylor Johnson. As, uh, on the three named boy, Aaron Taylor Johnson. The three named boy, um, who was, by the way, great in Bullet Train. He's phenomenal. I in Bullet really, Train. really liked him in Gosh. Bullet Train a lot. So, this Craven the Hunter movie, which I've been looking forward to, uh, they showed us a little bit, just some quick peeks at it at CinemaCon. Well, both of those movies are getting delayed. Uh, this comes to us from the folks uh, over at the playlist who write the following. What's happening in the world of Spider-Man and the entire Spider-Verse from Sony? Well, right now, a lot of delays. This weekend, Sony announced several changes in their upcoming Spider-Verse schedule, which means all their films are getting pushed back. The spinoff movie Craven the Hunter film starring Aaron Taylor Johnson, also known as the three name boy, uh, as one of Spidey's adversaries has been delayed from January 13th to October 6th. So count with me. Uh, in the, the count, ha, 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 voice, uh, February, March, April, Whoa. May, June, July, August, September, nine months, a one baby delay. Wow. Nine months. They've pushed it back. And then Madam Web was also delayed, not nearly as much. Uh, but whereas if that pushes the female-led Madam Web team up Spider-Man spinoff, initially scheduled uh, for uh, the slot of October 6th, and now will debut on February 16th, 2024. So not as big of a push as Craven. Now, it's funny because somebody wrote in last week and said, hey, John, this movie's supposed to come out mid-January. We don't have, we're talking about Craven. We don't have a trailer for it yet. And I said, well, you know, today it's not completely unusual to not have the first trailer come out till about three months out. We're still about four. And I said, if another month passes and we don't hear, see a trailer, then I'm going to think this movie's getting bumped. Well, we didn't have to wait uh, because they've announced it's now been bumped. I don't know what to say about this. Like for the last two and a half years, we get it. Pandemic, all this kind of stuff, yada, yada, yada. Um, why these delays are happening here now. Now, look, at least these are not films that they started their marketing campaigns on. Right. Right. This isn't like a lot of films that have gotten delayed that they already had big marketing pushes and had their trailers come out and it's just confusing audiences with the push. None of that has happened at this point. So I suppose it's not that big of a deal. But why did a movie have to get pushed nine months uh, it would be interesting. Method acting, here. real baby. Yes, yeah. I am now very disappointed about this. I hear about that. Anyway, Chris, you hear about this. I see no shock or surprise on your face no. whatsoever. And, and what are your thoughts? I feel like, I, I know I use this metaphor a lot, but it feels very spaghetti on the wall with a lot of what's happening with like Sony, Warner Brothers, that sort of things. These studios that we have seen push back. And, and heck, Marvel too. This last phase is kind of a gobbledygook mess of, let's try some stuff. I feel like, 
maybe this is being pushed just because they're changing a few things in light of how Morbius went about, maybe some greater <laughs> um, connective tissue developing between these different stories. Maybe Craven and Spider-Verse will tie into each other, or excuse me, Madam Web will tie into each other. But it just doesn't give me a lot of confidence, though, that these things keep getting pushed back and pushed back, especially when they're stories that I already kind of have a for why about of I don't understand what this Madam Web is. And I am more intrigued now the more stuff that's come out about it. But it's not Madam Web as I know her, which is fine. But I don't understand the point of that movie, right? Craven the Hunter. Okay, I know that character. He's a animal rights activist, environmentalist. Okay, that's not the Craven I know, but I can get behind that if the storytelling's right. So I'm hoping this is just them really trying to finesse what that story is and get these kind of anti-heroes actually done well, as opposed to, you know, what we saw with Morbin time. Uh, Rob, you know, again, when you see this, it, it just kind of screams to me now that we're in a post-pandemic era, it screams to me that you guys don't have your house in order. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's one thing, look, if another big suit, and maybe we'll find this out, maybe they know something we don't know, maybe Marvel has decided they're going to drop some big thing on or right around the weekend they were going to launch. Th this, is, this has happened before. Right. And then we go, oh, okay, that's why they moved it. But Understanding that, and with that being set aside, other than that, it makes me go, like, are things a mess over there? I, I don't understand. Because I really have finally started to get excited about this Madam Web project with the new details. But I don't know. What do you think about when you hear this? Well, they also said that, you know, part of this was due to the effects block backup. Which, you know, we've seen that affect is, other projects yeah. as well. But I would like to believe that in the, in the hallowed halls at Sony, somebody finally said, wait a minute, it's Craven the Hunter, right? Well, who's he hunting? The and most dangerous said, game. Someone man. said, yeah, wait, he's supposed to be hunting someone? Well, you know, he one of the most famous Craven stories is Craven's Last Hunt. He's hunting Spider-Man. And someone said, oh, so they have to redo the whole movie. Now, by the way, that's not true. That's just me. Uh, I'm just making that shit up. Breaking news. Please that don't do that. Robert Edson, I don't think Why didn't we think of this? But no, I really do think it's probably because of the effects backup. Because like Craven was... Probably someone said, wait a minute, we got the holidays coming up and we're backed up with effects. Well, and we recently saw Aquaman had to make a push yeah. as well because big, they just don't have the effects pipeline. And, these, the, and it's not just movie effects. It's all things. You know, these the same effects houses are working on TV shows with mm -hmm. so many genre related properties. Now, there is more effects work happening literally all over the world than I think at any other time in the history easily, of Hollywood. Easily. I mean, and, and there's only so many people that can do it. And a lot of these effects companies are talking about, there's been a lot of news lately about how people don't even like to work for Marvel because they're so overworked and there's so much work, so much pipeline work and they're working seven days a week. They don't see their families. And I would tend to believe that's probably the case. Oh yeah. You know, well, it's, it's not, there's a reason why if you guys go to a movie that has a bunch of effects in it, stick around and watch the, the credits. When it gets the part of visual effects by, some people get are surprised, but are also don't understand that it'll say like uh, effects by. I'm just pulling an old name out of the hat here, okay? Digital domain, which used to be like a major, major effects house. Like effects by digital domain, they list all the people, okay? All the 80, 180, 200 people who worked on it for mm -hmm. digital domain. But then it'll say, you know, flash and lightning. If visual effects by flash and lightning and a whole bunch of names. Like, well, why is there a second one? And then another company will come yep. up and then another. And I was in one movie where there were 12 visual effects company credits. Why? Because on a visual effects heavy movie, no one studio does them. No one visual right. effects 
does them. There's just too much. The amount of work that goes into visual effects is far too much for any one place to do. So what happens is, let's just say visual effects alpha, that's the name of the company, okay? Visual effects alpha, they get the main contract. Well, then what they start to do is, they start to, they figure out, okay, what can we do in-house? And then how much do we have to subcontract yep. out? Now, I used to work with a visual effects company, and that's where we got all of our biggest work, was a bigger visual effects house subcontracting other shots out to us. But now, a lot of the big studios aren't even giving the main contract to one studio house. They're like, we're splitting this into three contracts. And now three visual effects companies are involved. And then each of those three starts subcontracting out. And you start to see how all these visual effects companies, and there's only so many, their work schedule starts to get really, really yeah. packed. And that that's, that's a great explanation, John. And also the amount of time it takes to actually do these things. Like, you know, Rhythm and Hughes used to specialize in talking. Used animals. to love them. Used yeah, they're great. Them. But that took so long. And when you're doing something like Narnia, how many talking animals and how many creatures are there? I mean, it gets to the point where you've got sometimes the animation involved is insane. And when you're rendering out at the level that they're doing, and whether it's 2K or 4K, even the render times on some of these effect shots, you're locked into how fast a computer can even render. And render times are really, really fast now compared to what they used to be. But you're limited by sometimes the software. And when you're doing so many effect shots, you kind of have to just sit there and wait. Well, I mean, that's why you hear the term render farm. Like we, I remember at our thing, we set up our first render farm, which a render farm, uh, for those of you who probably heard the term, what a render farm basically is, at least when we were like bubble gumming it together, we just get a whole bunch of computers and all the, when we would do, like we're working in After Effects or something like that, After Effects or uh, what, what was the main one? Um, new tech what was the big light light lightworks no Maya. lightworks light, i can't I remember mean, what, uh, yeah it was light light something or other was the name of new techs and then there was maya and all these sorts of things well you could set it up where when you would go to render the render command would not only use your processors but they would look at the network for other processors and all the processors so we had this closet set up with like 12 computers that were quad core which was unheard of at the time. We had quad-core processors set up, and each processor was working at rendering a frame. But at the time, like certain frames could take up to a half hour of frame mm -hmm. to render. And so you get now these studios that literally have warehouses like of just nothing but render farm. Well, can I ask a production question about this then? Because sure. I, have, I have friends who work in production, and I, I follow like the VFX IATSE stuff and everything too. <laughs> Shouldn't studios be accounting for this time of how how much effort is taken here here's the problem the studios can't can't um uh what's a account for what other studios are also sending to these visual effects companies, okay that's right? fair so you have what would be a regular work line workflow but when things start piling up for the effects houses, suddenly your own schedule starts to get thrown way out of whack right mm -hmm. you know i appreciate all the detail you guys are putting into this but you just wasted everyone's time. Everyone knows why this movie's delayed. Why is that? They're waiting for me to finish Morbius. <laughs> just like the chat said, Sony is keeping their eye on the Morbius Ray Watch. That's they want right. Me to finish it. I'll finish it by October. I promise. And then they will know and which direction they got to take. Don't be ready. Thanks for the chat for that. That was really funny when I read that. But <laughs> I had a question. Yes. So does that mean is it coming out the same year as Across the Spider Verse? I can't remember what the Across the Spider-Verse is. Is it 2024? This one's coming out 2023? 
What, what, you, I need you to look oh, that up. Yeah. When, when does I, 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 I don't know when across the Spider-Verse. Because Webster's that would mean it would be a month before. But that would release a month before. If across the Spider-Verse better not get delayed. Yeah, I think that's 2023. <laughs> okay, I hope so. I, it better not get delayed. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Craven and Madam Web have both been delayed. Maybe it is indeed because of the backlog. We've seen it happen to Aquaman on visual effects works in the industry. That could be a problem. Maybe it was something else. Are you even looking forward to these movies? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's get into our newest segment here on the show, which is, of course, our Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. If you guys have a question you'd like to send in and have your glorious angelic voice heard on our show, you can call our hotline number 951-268-4259 and see maybe if your hotline question will be selected. So let's get to it. What's our hotline question today? Hey, John, this is Alan. I just saw a comment made to IGN by Tony Gilroy, which he indicated his mandate for Andor was to completely avoid fan service. Does this idea make you more excited for Andor? Thanks. Love to hear your thoughts. All right. Thanks for saying that in, man. And, uh, yeah, Andor is coming out. Um, I have just seen episodes five and six mm. of Andor. Um, this show is fantastic. I stand by my original statement. This show is, is if you're one of the many people who have maybe become a little disillusioned with Star Wars or whatever, this is the show that will make you fall in love with Star Wars again. It's, it's a different kind of, of show that they've done before. This show is remarkably good. So one of the things that's kind of been preeminent in a lot of the big popular films these days is a lot of fan service. Of course, fan service is just throwing in something that doesn't necessarily um, equate or have a narrative purpose, but the fans will scream and will get a big pop if you throw in, look, everybody, it's so-and-so. Ah, why are they there? No reason. We just knew the audience would get happy if they were there. Fan service, though, is not necessarily a bad thing. Fan service is like any tool in a filmmaker's belt. It can be used for good purposes or it can be used for evil. And we've seen both examples. A great example of a proper use of fan service was Spider-Man No Way Home. We're having Toby and Andrew pop up. That's like the ultimate fan service. But the thing was, it was intricately necessary for the narrative they were telling. It was a, a, an unseparable narrative point for that. It actually was part, an important part of the story itself. And so in that case, that's a great example of use. Now, Tony Gilroy was recently being interviewed and, and he was asked about it. He said, my mandate was no fan service in Andor. Now, he goes on to say, that doesn't mean we're not going to see some faces we're familiar with, but those faces are there because they were essential to the story. Saw Gerrera. We all, we, everybody knows Saw Gerrera is going to be in the show. That, that's not nothing new. And Mon Mothma. And Mon Mothma and other characters like that. But the reason they're there is not because, look, everybody, it's Saw Gerrera. Remember him? No, no, no. For the story I'm telling, he's got to be there. Mon Mothma is not there so everybody can go, oh, we remember her. No, no, no. She's there because my story required her to be there. And hearing a guy like Tony Gilroy come out and say, yeah, fan service, F off. No, I'm going to use the characters that I need for my story. And we're not going to have a random C-3PO cameo for no reason. Just kind of slid in there or whatever. We're not going to have, you know young Lando slide in there just for no apparent, for no apparent reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did I just disappoint you, Chris? Yeah. Um, and 
I got to tell you, it's that kind of level-headed vision-forward storytelling that I think permeates all of Andor and just has made me really appreciate it for just how good this show is. And hey, Rob, you hear Tony Gilroy's comments. What do you make of them? I think it's really smart because the thing is, you know, within a universe, a fictional universe, the audience already can make the connections on its own if it needs to. Tony Gilroy is like, look, I'm telling the story of the beginnings of the rebellion. I'm telling there are certain people that have been established in the universe that make sense to have them come back. That's like you said, it's not fan service. And and in his story, fan service would actually detract from the story that he's telling. Like suddenly, I, like I can't stand, to me it diminishes the universe as a whole because we as fans who watch the show, we can make those connections. But if somebody randomly talks about Obi-Wan Kenobi or talks about Luke Skywalker blowing up the Death Star, that wouldn't happen in real life. John, we don't talk about things that happen in our own life. Well, five years ago when this, this happened to me personally, you don't live your life that way. You move on and maybe sometimes someone will reference something that happens in the past. Even when in No Way Home, when Matt Murdock shows up, you could say that was fan service. But if you really think about Spider-Man, I bet Matt Murdock went to Spider-Man on his own, went to Peter Parker on his own and said, look, I'm your lawyer. I can help you out. We liked it, but it wasn't necessarily as fan service as it could be because at that point he'd been outed and needing a lawyer was so that, to me, that that treads the line. Yeah, that treads the line. But it, it but, wasn't as intricate or, or as involved or as necessary as, say, Andrew and Toby. But it, right. It but, it's held, but, but still, there is a reason in the story to do it. But when they just randomly throw, like, I'll tell you, even in Rogue One, I think you see R2 and 3PO in the hangar deck. Yes. That was fan service. Absolutely. And so Andor doesn't need that. Absolutely. Chris, you hear about this. What do you think of Tony Gilroy's uh, comments here? Well, first of all, I work in anime, so fan service means something very different. <laughs> so I was like, of course that wouldn't be in here. And then I went, oh, no, I know what you guys are talking about. Now I know. That, that makes me more sense. Wow. Um, this is great, I think. This should be a spy thriller. This should be a war film. You know, this should be about espionage and intrigue and things like that. And while I love me some Babu Frick... You know, if I have a whole bunch of moments of those kinds of things popping up, I, I don't need that. You know, I want to have a really, really great story here with these guys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Stone Starsguard, I'm so interested in your character. Oh, my goodness. Everything we've seen. Well, everything that I've seen, you've seen more, is so intriguing about him. And I'm so excited. Everything looks so cinematic. Everything looks just really, really intense and has scope. So I don't need to see R2-D2. I already know about that droid. Love him. Bless him. He doesn't need to be here. Also, the chat wants to know if Manny Bothins is going to be by Moth, uh, on Mothman's side. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that, that uh, hero. The that man, Let me just Bothins. tell you all about like that. that. I, mean, I mean, maybe you'll see uh, an early appearance by Manuel Bothens. <laughs> I would love that. That I, is the only fan service I need in this. I just hope we see a scene of uh, Andor hiding someone underneath his coat. That's all I want to see. <laughs> Perfect. Woo! The Obi-Wan jobs are coming out <laughs> now. Maybe that'll be that. That's where that maneuver came from. Um, <laughs> the Andor maneuver. I, I, I will just tell you guys, this this is a fantastic show. It's so well done. And uh, everything I was kind of hoping it would be. And I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Questions for you guys. What do you think of Tony Gilroy's comments about saying, listen, fan service is a no-go with my stuff. If I'm going to use them, it's going to be because they're necessary to the story. What do you guys think about that? Jump down to the comment section below. Then let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, we're going to take a second here and thank one of the sponsors of today's episode. I'm wearing them right now, and my ass feels fine. Our good folks over at MeUndies. 
We want to take a moment and thank the sponsor of this video, Me Undies. Now, guys, we've all heard of gut instinct, but have you ever heard of butt instinct? It's when your butt tells you it wants new undies. Listen to your butt. Luckily for you, we work with Me Undies, makers of the most buttery, soft, and sustainable undies, bralettes, and socks that exist. Guys, for too long, I lived my life wearing those Amazon or Walmart 20 pack cheap underwear that I thought were just fine until I tried Me Undies undies. Now it's like my nether regions are in a Palm Springs resort. So guys, let your skin sing a song of joy with undies, socks, and bralettes that feel as if they're spun from silken clouds. Guaranteed to be the softest stuff you've ever felt in your life, their signature micromodal fabric is sustainable, breathable, and stretchy as heck. Available in sizes extra small to 4XL, they have new colors and prints dropping weekly, so there's always something exciting to check out. Try out their free-to-join membership for free shipping on every order and exclusive perks, like an item shipped to your door every month, secret sales, and early access to their newest stuff. MeUndies has a great offer for all John Campy Show viewers and listeners. For any first-time purchaser, you get 20% off, plus free shipping and returns. To get 20 off your first order, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash Campia. That's MeUndies.com slash Campia. And thank you to our friends at MeUndies for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. Remember, guys, when you support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So go down to the description of the video. You'll see right at the top a link to all of our sponsors and the promo codes. And again, big thank you to MeUndies. All right, guys, with that down... Let's get into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics on the show? Well, that's simple. You guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you see a major topic or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, Chris, what is our first main topic today? Our first one comes from Jeff Bingham. I know you're not a fan of the Karate Kid spinoff series Cobra Kai, John, but there's no denying the passionate fan base for it. And now it appears Sony is trying to capitalize off of its popularity by putting out a new Karate Kid movie set for June 7th, 2024. However, Cobra Kai showrunner John Hurwitz revealed that this will not be, uh, they will not be involved with the film, which suggests suggests it will not exist within the same continuity as the series and original films. Will Cobra Kai's popularity translate into interest for a new film, or do you think fans won't be as excited for a movie that exists outside of the series continuity? All right, Jeff. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm not, I am not a fan of Cobra Kai, and I am squarely in the minority on that. I, I completely understand, and that's perfectly fine. It's just, you know, I watched a bunch of episodes of it. I, I've tried... My wife, at least once a season, gets me to watch one or so with her, and it just does not click for me, doesn't work for me. That doesn't mean it shouldn't work for everybody else. And it does have a hell of a lot of fans. A lot of people love this show, including my wife. It's, my wife went through all of the new season in like three days, like the whole season in like three days. People love this show. So it's not a big surprise that Sony is looking to maybe take advantage of that resurgence of popularity by bringing Karate Kid back to the big screen again. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who wrote the following. Sony Pictures has announced the return of the original Karate Kid franchise to the big screen by dating a new Karate Kid movie for June 7th, 2024. 
While the franchise has lived on thanks to Netflix's Cobra Kai series, which just debuted its fifth season on the streaming platform, this new Karate Kid project will be uh, the franchise's first film offering since a 2010 reboot starring Jaden Smith. The 2024 Karate Kid movie does not yet have a synopsis for the studio or a cast and crew attached. And once again, like the showrunner of Cobra Kai pointed out, it will be a movie that is in no way attached to the Cobra Kai series. Okay, let me start by saying this. That 2010 Jaden Smith, uh, Jackie Chan version, I really liked it. I don't care. I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. I don't it care what anybody else thinks That was actually a pretty damn good little movie. It wasn't a top 10 movie of the year or anything, but it was really quite good in and of itself. And I thought a very interesting reimagining of the original Karate Kid. I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. Thank you. That being said, should this Karate Kid be the sequel now to that one? No, probably not. Uh, that, that time has come and gone. It's probably going to be yet another reboot and relook at Karate Kid. And is now the time to do that when just in 2010 you did it again already? And while I understand wanting to ride the wave of popularity and you know, IP recognizability with Cobra Kai being as hot as it is. I, I get that. I do. But is there wisdom in trying to do something that is not Cobra Kai right now when that's kind of what everybody is focused on? Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, you could make an argument. It's the same thing with the Batman. Matt Reeves is the Batman. You've got the DC Universe. You're going to make something that's not Ben Affleck's Batman? Really? You're going to do that? Okay. I get that too. So I don't know how I feel about this. You know me, I am all for remakes, because if a remake is good, you got a new good movie. And if it's bad, who cares? We still have the original. But this one right now kind of feels ill-advised. I may change my mind about that once we do hear what the concept for this film is, because clearly if they've got a release date, they already know what their movie is. And maybe once we hear the concept, and maybe it's a totally fresh take on the idea, and maybe then we'll go, aha, okay, okay, let's see where this goes. But I'm not going to lie, Rob, right now I kind of look at this and feel like, it wasn't all that long ago that you rebooted this. You've got something very hot with the franchise right now. Why do this now? I don't know. You hear about the story. What stands out to you? Well, I'm with you. I mean, I think it's kind of ill-advised. I don't really understand it. I mean, their franchise, their Cobra Kai franchise, is proving its viability right now. You know, on the on the small screen, they're gonna they're getting a sixth season. I mean, that's a big deal. Now, it, like you said, already by announcing this, the fact that we're even having this conversation shows there's confusion in the marketplace. Yeah. People are like, is, what is this? Is I, I would imagine it's going to be a reboot again, but why do it now? Like, why would you have competing franchises? Or, I, I mean, we live in a strange time because with the success of Top Gun Maverick, with Beverly Hills Cop, with Ghostbusters, all of these mid-80s franchises, and Cobra Kai being another part of this revival, you know, 35 plus years later, they're they're having pretty good success. I mean, Ghostbusters Afterlife, that was a direct sequel to the first or yeah. second Ghostbusters. That was from 84. Top Gun Maverick, 86. Co uh, uh, Karate Kid was when? 84 as well, 85, something around there. I mean, it's really, and, and Constantine was a, a character that was created in 1985. It's very interesting that we're seeing this revival. How long are they going to last? How long can they keep it going? I don't know, but look, I would say this. Great story, great characters. It could work. Chris, you're hearing about this. L let me throw the same question to you, but let me add a another little spin on it. Okay. Could this possibly suggest, what did they say, a 2024 release date? 
Could this possibly suggest that maybe Sony knows that maybe Cobra Kai season six might be the final one. And then they're going to try to ride that momentum into a new, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just making that up by the way, totally just making that up. What do you think about I this? I mean, it could because how unheard of is it for a Netflix show to have a sixth season? Unheard of. I mean, which, which does speak to the quality of the show and, and how much people are vibing with it too. I'm like you, I haven't watched any Cobra Kai really. Um, I've only seen a friend that my, uh, seen that my friend is in. So shout out Brian Frank. Good job. Um, but obviously people enjoy this. I really like the original Karate Kid films. I even like the one with Hilary Swank and yeah. they gotta be in the end credits. I love that. I don't know why you would do a reboot though with this on air or this streaming right now. That does seem like brand confusion. I love what the chat's saying of doing a young Miyagi film, letting us know how Miyagi came to be who he is. I think that could be interesting because I think one of the things we love about Cobra Kai, or at least the fans of it do, is that you have, you know, Johnny in there, you have Daniel in there, and you get to continue their story, which is what we're doing with those other franchises that you brought up, Rob. Mm -hmm. I think people want a continuation and they want to live in that nostalgia still, not necessarily redoing it, but just continuing a story. So this feels a little odd to me. You know, one thing that makes it unique is you're at, you raise a great question about you know, it's very unusual for a Netflix series to have this kind of life. Mm -hmm. I would propose that the big differentiating factor here is the fact that you can make a season of Netflix for approximately $38. I mean, this is a low budget. It's a low budget show. It's, there's, I mean, there's when no you compare effects. it to something like Stranger yeah. Things or uh, Sandman or stuff like that, this is a very low budget show in comparison, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that contributes to its longevity because netflix is like well why not keep it going it's not really costing us anything yeah. but it does make me wonder more and more because you the big the big question that you guys bring up and this is the one that really makes it a head scratcher is why would you have competing karate kid ips at the same time that's the one that makes me think that maybe they know there is an end date for cobra kai that maybe they know Cobra Kai is going to get it season six and then that's going to be it and then they can move on with something. I, I don't but know. Then, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, then wouldn't you want to take a community approach though, right? Like six seasons in a movie. Like do a Cobra Kai movie then. But how, what really are the prospects of like a, a TV show then coming out with a movie? I mean, we had X-Files, but that was an irregular thing that yeah. happened. It's not usually a, a, a recipe for success. I got to say, John, even though Cobra Kai season five, all the Cobra Kai series, it started out as a YouTube show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to say that one of the emo most emotionally satisfying moments of the year is in season five. Well, careful it, not to spoil anything. I won't say anything, okay. but when it comes, it involves, it involves Ralph Macchio's character and it, it involves a certain conflict and it, it's not even a big budget resolution. You know, it wasn't, but it's oh so satisfying, and it's all about character and story. And even I, when I finally caught a ball, I was like, fuck it. I was like, yes. And it cost not a lot of money. And when it happened, it was quick. It could have gone on a lot longer. Like, so it's not said. the so I was going to say, it sounds like somebody's sex life. Well, it was, it was, very, it was very monumental. I think anybody who's watched Cobra Kai season five will be like, yep. And it didn't cost, it was because we're emotionally involved in the story. And it shows the power of storytelling. You don't need a lot of money. What you need is great characters and a great story. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you guys think about this? Sony's saying they've got a new Karate Kid movie coming. Now, again, it's, it's hard to know how I feel about it when we don't know what is their approach going to be for it. But 
Could it be running at the same time that Cobra Kai is? Maybe this is a sign that Cobra Kai does have its end date because, again, for a Netflix show, this thing is already long gone past the regular shelf life. What do you guys think? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number two. Chris, what is our second main topic today? This comes from Anish. Holy moly, John, it's happening. Deadline reported that a Constantine... Constantine sequel is indeed happening with Keanu Reeves returning, reteaming with original director Francis Lawrence. So first, what are your thoughts on the sequel news? And secondly, what does it say about Zaslav's potential 10-year DC plan? Where do you see Reeves' Constantine fit in that? Could this be part of the DCEU or be a standalone project outside of it? Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in. Um, yeah, listen, as far as Constantine, well, at least Keanu Reeves' Constantine, I, I will admit it's never been a high on my list. I, I, I've never been as enamored with that movie as a lot of other people have. Like to a lot of people, it's a it's a cult classic. It didn't do badly at the time. Like I think it made like $200 million at the box office, which at that time standards isn't too terrible. Um, you know, Lawrence, I mean, he went on to do some pretty big stuff. Like most predominantly, of course, he did the Hunger Games films, mm -hmm. which made a lot of money. He also did Red Sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence. So he kind of got into a thing of making films with Jennifer Lawrence, made he, a lot of music videos. He did like that, like Water for Elephants, I think, which I actually oh, liked. I think you're right. That I like Robert Pattinson. Yeah, right? I liked yeah. it. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that was a pretty good one, too. So that's interesting. Now, it should be important to note here that while some outlets are running saying it's official Constantine 2 is coming... It, technically, that's not true. What Warner Brothers has done is they've given the okay to move ahead on development. Now, development is one thing. You develop a, a particular project, and then it comes to the real deadline point of, does the studio green light it and say, yes, we're going to finance it, now go ahead and make it. That's another hurdle it's got to come after. Now, it's very, it's probably likely that that's what's going to happen, but I just want everybody to be clear that it has not been greenlit. They are developing it, and then it'll probably get greenlit later. But just don't be surprised later on if we find out it doesn't happen. It says, what I thought they already said, they greenlit it. It's being developed. That being said, Rob, they're going back to uh, the Keanu Reeves Constantine. I, I really kind of like the TV iteration they started to create. Didn't like where they went with it. But what do you that. think about them bringing back Keanu? Well, I think, honestly, I think that this is a ploy as well oh. by, by David Zaslav team. You know, it was also reported on the same day that this was reported that the John Constantine TV series that Bad Robot was developing along with their Madam Xanadu series for HBO Max have been canceled. Yep. So I think this is their excuse. They start developing this. Now, Bad Robot is a producer on this because I guess they had to be contractually. Yes. But you bring back your original, you bring back Francis Lawrence, you bring back Keanu Reeves. You and by bring the way, Francis's production company is the, is the headline production company. Yeah, they're the lead the production yeah. and you bring back Kiva Goldsman. So the team is in place and I'll tell you something, you know, uh, Keanu Reeves' star has risen and he's with the John Wick franchise he's become a bankable star again uh, people really like him and I know Warner Brothers really likes working with him even though Matrix Resurrections yeah. but still it's it's like I liked it but I think that it's a good move for them because it's a catalog title that has done well especially in ancillary markets cable home video people like that movie I you know what as a dyed-in-the-wool Hellblazer fan, I'm like, how can you make John Constantine not British? And I was one of these, like, naysayers. When I saw the movie, I was like, this is really good. Maybe Keanu can bring out his Dracula 
accent for <laughs> Constantine this time. I mean, look, and I'll tell you something else. They went back to one of the comic, one of the uh, the 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 quintessential comic book runs of this Dangerous Habits and put it on screen. So if they go back and do one of the quintessential John Constantine stories, by the way, as you said, his real name is Constantine. Mm-hmm. They mis they mispronounce it in the movie and made it Constantine. Saying, yeah, Chris, what do you think about it, this? Well, it's so ingrained to me that it's Constantine that every time it, it does feel like Moopit or Avongers. Um, I love Constantine. Hi, look at all my babies. <laughs> I'm so excited about issues today, you guys. Oh We're gonna God. talk about it. Uh, um, all right, is this my comic book version of him? Absolutely not. He's, he doesn't look like Sting. He doesn't have a British accent. I, like like, I, I need I need a few more things here. Is this fun? Hell yeah, it mm. is. This movie came out in like uh, 2005. Yeah. And I was in high school and I just loved the shit out of this movie. I thought it was so cool and so fun. It was well, so great. It also has great Peter Stormare as the devil. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's called the Sweat. Yeah, and great. and Jarman Hansu as Papa Midnight. Rachel I Weiss mean, in there. Rachel Weiss. Oh. The casting and all the stuff in hell, it's really well done. Yeah. It's so fun. And so I'm excited to see what they do with this one. I do love Matt Ryan. I think he is a wonderful, wonderful Constantine. And I loved that initial season of that show we had for him. I really, really wish we had explored that more because that's so true to who the comic book character is and everything. But I think this is a fun, supernatural, occult ride. I think it's a really good time. I'm not looking for something deeply existential here. I just want a fun trip to hell. Now, one of the questions that they bring up here that we haven't addressed yet Mm -hmm is how does or does this fit into the DCEU? The answer to that is we don't know, but here's my guess. My guess is it doesn't. My guess is you're going to have to, I think they're going to approach this the same way they approach Joker, Matt Reeves' The Batman. I think it's going to be its own standalone thing. I don't know. Do you guys see this as being part of the 10-year plan of working in the DCU? Yes, no? I totally agree with you. I think it's a standalone, it's its own thing. I think this is, but I would like to see in the next decade, I know a lot of you don't, but what I want is I want Justice League Dark. I want to see Constantine and Zatanna. I want him messing around with Etrigan and everything, too. I want that. Well, Guillermo del Toro was developing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to see that. The animated film was pretty good. I thought it was fun. It was pretty good. I thought it was fun. I would love to see that. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about it? Are you excited that it seems like they're going into development on Constantine 2? The whole band is coming back. Keanu, Lawrence, they're all back to do it again. Are you excited about it? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number three. Chris. What is our third main topic today? This comes from Alonzo M. Good morning, John and crew. I'm not sure how it does it, but House of the Dragon just seems to get better and better to me. Last night's episode was crazy. So many major things happened that my head is spinning. What did you think of the episode? And why do you think this show just keeps being able to elevate week after week? Thanks. All right, Alonzo. Thanks a lot for saying that in. And again, just a reminder, we're not going to go into big spoilers here. We are going to have a full open after show spoiler discussion about House of the Dragon later today at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Make sure you guys come back and join us for that. However, completely agree. This show has never failed to disappoint me every time I tune in. And I saw the- Failed to disappoint you? Has never, oh, that's right. Has never, <laughs> has never disappointed me. Right. Thank you for that. It's never failed to disappoint. Just that's say, I want to make sure. Always disappoints <laughs> yeah. me, John. Uh, yeah, you're Double really happy about there. it. That's the twist. So I saw a great meme today that just sums up this show so well. Because I one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite character in the show is King Viserys. 
I, I love this guy. And there is a terrific meme going around. It's a picture of a guy. And I should have pulled the I should have pulled this meme for Jonathan. But it's a picture of a guy that's sitting outside of like it's like the back door of a restaurant or something, like the, the door that goes into an alley. And he's just standing there like this with a cigarette in his hand, is like like that look on his face of God, life sucks sometimes. Only they pasted Viserys's face on him, and it says King Viserys after every episode of House of the Dragon, because <laughs> everybody just keeps effing him over. <laughs> everybody acts like jerks and assholes and screws everything up. Like there's a scene where Damon shows up in this thing, and again, King is like, "Just what? Why must you? Why must everything for me always be ruined?" And I just feel so bad for King Viserys every single time. You're right. They brought a number of building storylines to a head in this thing. They did it in the most dramatic way. The showrunners of, of the show, of course, say, you know, it's a wedding in Restros, and those never end well. Um, it, it's just, I, I got, I get, and again, there's no action scenes really in this episode. Like, there's not really a, a big, I mean, there's a fight, but I mean, there's not really action scenes. And yet it's exciting and it's thrilling because of the characters and all the machinations that are going on and the backstabbing. And again, this show proves every single episode, everybody is playing the game of Thrones. And now, even though you know, we're sitting down watching it and goes, do you think maybe next week is when they're going to bring in the new performers, the, the aged up actresses? I said, yes, but I've said that for the last three weeks in a row. And that has never worked out. But then the preview, you guys have seen this now public, the preview for next week's episodes come out. Next week is when the new actors come in for, for, uh, uh, for Alicent, for Renera, and a few others as well. Cause I guess the next episode is jumping ahead over a decade. So it's yeah. moving forward over 10 years in the next episode. And this show continues to entertain me, thrill me and keep me hooked. And at the end of every episode, I'm like looking at my watch and saying, how much longer do I got to wait till the next one? It's, it's been fantastic. Love this episode. Can't wait to talk about it later. Anyway, Chris, you saw this episode mm -hmm. of House of the Dragon. What did you think? Oh, gosh, a lot happened. And it was an emotional roller coaster this episode, too. There were some really big heartstring moments that really, really got to me because some characters from the previous episode who I kept thinking, I, I really feel like we're doing this character dirty. Oh, boy, did that come to fruition in this? It's a lot of intrigue. It is a lot of political machinations. I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm going to stop there. I'm really afraid of spoiling I, stuff. I will, I will say this, though, Rob. <laughs> going into next week's episode, I am heartbroken. That number one, were, I, I can't remember her name, but the girl who plays Rhaenyra. Millie Alcock. Um, uh, yeah. And I didn't I didn't used to care about Alicent, but after this episode, oh. I'm like, oh. and now we are losing both of those actresses and we're going to get the new actresses who are aged up. They're going to be playing those characters. I am very much lamenting that we're losing them. But still, uh, this has been fascinating. Rob, what has been the secret to this show that just keeps seems to get getting better well, every week? Uh, again, the great characters and the story being told. But I have to say, you talk about uh, King Viserys. What I love about this show is the showrunners, the writers of this show do things in it that I find they didn't, they don't have to. And one of them is the way they treat queen, uh, queen King Viserys in this episode. It's it's people notice it or not. They put him in a situation where he has to show his strength and he's not feeling well. He's given a big, long flight of stairs. He has to walk up. He has to go a long way. He's being dissed. He's being oh, dissed. Yeah. And and they they do these subtle things where he looks up and you see this shot. And we know the audience that he's not in a good way. He's not feeling pretty good. And they, they make us realize that this guy, rather than sit there and stomp his feet and go, I'm the king, I shouldn't have. 
He does it anyway. And, and even though, like you said, everyone is ruining everything he plans and you just, I felt that way too. I'm like, God damn it. You know, as soon as Damon rolls in, you're like, dude, in the middle. And, and he gets that done twice to him. And yet when he walked up and he does the, where, where you see where he has to go and who he has to talk to, I'm like, I love this guy. Yeah. I this, love this guy, character. this guy, no matter what happens, he sucks it up and he perseveres. I mean, and not to mention the fact that he's, his body is literally getting eaten away for however long. And it, it's, I love this guy. I love this character. I, I know that I know his life when he, he, he even asked this question, he goes, do you think people will think I'm a good King? Will they say about me later? And one of the things I love about the character is that he struggles. He has, he, he makes mistakes, but everything at the heart of it, every decision he's made, even the wrong ones has always been motivated by his thought of what is best for the kingdom. Yes. My duty, what I need to do, what is best. Ray hates this character. Hates Ray, what do you I mind? hate this king because he knows there's doubt. Like he has a little doubt in himself. Why does he ask these things? If you're not fit to be king, don't be the king. Pass it on already. For for me, that's what it seems like. But I will speak in general. I know the show is called Game of uh, like it's Game of Thrones, right? Not Game of Damon. Uh, oh yeah, but. You know, I never understood the game until these past two episodes. I right. get it now. It should have been obvious to me that this is like a game of telephone throughout this kingdom. Everyone's just telling people this and that and to get people on. Oh, that. you should meet Littlefinger someday. What I like <laughs> about Damon is he stirs the pot, but he stirs it in front of your face. He lets you know it's him that's saying all this stuff. That's why I love his character. There's a scene in this, in this, in this episode where... He just he just destroys some dude verbally, and I'm like, okay, that's 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 the. He just, I, 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 he I, makes I, this dude walk away. I have to give you guys a scene. There's a scene with Damon here where he starts dropping some stuff, right? And uh, and like Ray is like physically excited. He's like shifting on the couch. I was like, that's right. That's right. That's my prince. <laughs> like he's, saying, he's saying this like out loud. That, that was the show promised. <laughs> anyway, guys, question is for you. What have you guys been thinking about House of the Dragon? And what did you think about the newest episode? And again, make sure you come back at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time today when we get into our House of the Dragon open spoiler discussion after show. We hope to see you guys there. But for now, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Before we move on here, we're going to take a second and thank another one of our favorite sponsors here on the show, the wonderful folks over at Masterclass. Guys, we want to take a second and thank the sponsor of this video, Masterclass. All of us here at the John Campion Show absolutely love Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn television writing from Shonda Rhimes, improve your comedy skills from Steve Martin, or you can learn filmmaking from James Cameron himself. With over a hundred different classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to learn is close than you think. I have personally watched Bob Iger's lessons on business strategy and leadership at least six or seven times. Every time I watch it, I learn something new that I get to apply to my own business as well. And the best thing about it is you don't have to sit down and watch an entire thing all at once. You can watch the individual segments or just as much as you want in any sitting at a time. So guys, when it comes to Masterclass, I highly recommend that you check it out. Get unlimited access to every Masterclass. And as a John Campia Show listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash campia. That's masterclass.com slash campia for 15% off masterclass. 
And thank you to our friends at Masterclass for putting out amazing stuff. I Again, I've watched the Bob Iger thing like 20 times now. <laughs> and for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. All right, guys. With that down, let's get into main topic number four. Chris, what is our fourth main topic today? Our fourth topic comes from Maxi S. Hi, John and crew. You've already talked about the glowing reviews coming out of TIFF of Spielberg's The Fablemans. The festival has concluded and it won TIFF's top honor, the People's Choice Award. I think that puts The Fablemans ahead of the list of p- potential Best Picture Oscar winners, including your fave of the year so far, Everything Everywhere All at Once. And I don't see any film that hasn't yet been shown having the potential to knock it off the top spot, with the exception exception of Chiselle's Babylon. Avatar 2, maybe? Is the Best Picture race over already? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. All right, Maxie, thanks a lot for saying that in. And of course... Uh, maybe potentially the most important film festival of the year, the Toronto International Film Festival, has now come to a close, and they have handed out their major awards, which is their People's Choice Awards, which at this festival, that's their major one. And two big films won two big awards that I'm actually very excited about. Anyway, this comes from the folks over at Variety who wrote the following. TIFF, just for you guys to know, that's the Toronto International Film Festival. TIFF's People's Choice Award is one of the most reliable predictors of eventual Oscar success. In past years, winners such as Green Book and Nomadland went on to capture the best prize at the Academy Awards. Other recent recipients, including three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, La La Land, and Jojo Rabbit, were Best Picture nominees and major forces during the award season. At this year's festival, the first runner-up for the Audience Award was Sarah Polly's drama Talk, Women Talking, while the second runner-up was Ryan Johnson's whodunit Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, which I am so freaking excited about. The Audience Prize for the festival's Midnight Madness series went to, oh my God, Weird, the Al Yankovic story, and the Documentary Award went to Black Ice. So, Steven Spielberg's Meet the Fablemans. We talked the other week about the fact that the reviews were coming out for the film and like all the major trades were not just saying this thing's great. They're saying they were throwing around the words masterpiece, perhaps Spielberg's best, which is a ridiculous thought to even think about. Um, But all the it was just glowing, glowing. Everybody loved this film, masterpiece, best film of the year, blah, blah, blah. Well, it actually takes home the People's Choice Award at the Toronto International Film Festival, which again can be a big precursor into the Oscars. So clearly this is going to be a potential favorite going into the Oscar season. So there's that. Super thrilled for the other major People's Choice Award, which is the Midnight Madness one. It beat out, what's the X uh, follow-up film? What's it? Pearl. Pearl. So it beat out films like Pearl and a few other, but weird, the Al Yankovic story. <laughs> Which, of course, I got to fulfill a lifelong dream of mine last week. I got to meet Weird Al, which was fantastic. Um, uh, Wins that, which is crazy. Because when they, listen, when they first announced that movie and Daniel Cratcliffe, like even I'm like, I'm a huge, huge Weird Al fan. I'm like, what? What are they doing with this? And it was going to, it's a direct to Roku, Roku thing. And then all of a sudden the reviews started coming out. They were smashing and now it wins the People's Choice for the Midnight Madness Award out there. And of course, Black Ice won Best Documentary. Anyway, Rob, we talked last week about the insane response that we were hearing coming from Meet the Fablemans. Turns out it wasn't just the critics. The audiences that went to go see this at uh, the Toronto Film Festival, they voted it Best of the of the Festival. What does that tell you about the film? How do you think it's going to be positioned heading into Oscar season? Well, obviously, you know, you can tell from the trailer, it's Steven Spielberg, one of the greatest directors who ever lived. And he's doing probably the most personal story he's ever told, which is about his own life. 
his own parents, his own family. And uh, he co-wrote the script. I mean, I know he has a credit on AI and Close Encounters, but I mean, this is something that is near and dear to his heart. And I can only imagine how much of his own personal self is is on the screen in this movie. That in itself and the fact that it won this award tells me that this is a very special movie. So obviously it clearly goes straight to the top. The only thing that I could see working against it in terms of Oscar contention is that maybe some people are saying, oh, great, he's made a movie about himself. Should we award it that way? But again, <laughs> that really shouldn't factor into it because making a movie about yourself is not as easy as people might think. Believe me, I know. <laughs> Chris, you hear about this? What do you think? Oh, I'm so happy about it. I love this. I, I I love when a coming of age story gets all these kinds of accolades too. Because, and I've said it before on here, a lot of times award seasons, things go to the most difficult things to watch. And there's obviously merit to that, right? There are tough stories that need to be told. But it's really nice when a heartwarming tale about your own family, about your own experience, really connects with other audiences. And this is just a big old love letter to his parents. So I'm really, really excited to see it. Um, any thoughts on Weird Al's movie winning? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Way to go, Al. Yes. That I'm, makes me I'm so actually, happy. I'm actually going to the LA premiere uh, of it. Because you're best I, friends now? Because uh, we're besties. I yeah. mean, we're BFFs now. So I can't wait for you guys to get tattooed. You're going to Beyond Fest. Uh, is that what it's part of? That's yeah. right. Yeah, it's be a part of Beyond Fest. I, I'm, that's the only thing I'm going to is I'm going to go to the premiere, the LA premiere of uh, of Weird Al's movie. So I'm very, very excited about that. But yeah, Meet the Fablemans looks incredible. How will it compare? Listen, it's very difficult because in as much as we're talking about this movie, the reality is we haven't seen it yet. Exactly. So, I mean, I can't say how legit I think its chances are for the Oscars right now when compared against, like, obviously, Babylon looks like it's going to be a major force. Everything, everywhere all at once to me right now is the best film of the year. So how's it going to compare? Hard to say when we haven't seen it yet, but it certainly looks good for it. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? It's not just the critics, but now the audience is saying, this is probably the best film of the year. With Steven Spielberg's Meet the Fablemans, whatever you guys think, jump down to the comments section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys, with that down, let's move into main topic number five. Chris, what is our fifth main topic today? This is from Richard Avery. The fascinating story over at Warner Brothers just continues to get more interesting. There's a new report in The Hollywood Reporter that David Zaslav's endgame in this whole thing with acquiring Warner Brothers was just to flip it and sell it to Comcast. Was the whole point of buying WB just to play flip or flop with it like his Discovery show? What are you thinking? Can this actually happen? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, Richard. And it's, it's funny to use that analogy. I was actually, I did a, uh, I did a live uh, Mint Mobile hotline question show this weekend, and I actually kind of made the same analogy comparing to Flip or Flop. So for those of you who don't know what it is that we're talking about here, here's what's being reported right now. Apparently, uh, the Hollywood Reporter is done this story where basically they're saying they're being told that it looks like the whole end game that's the word they used. The whole endgame of David Zaslav and Discovery taking over Warner Brothers was simply to do a live action version of his other show, Flip or Flop, which is to, you know, buy an old broken down house, renovate it, and then sell it, hopefully for a bigger price. That's the idea of Flip or Flop, or what, you know, house flipping is. And what they are saying is that that is basically... That's what David Zaslav's plan is, is not to take Warner Brothers and build it into a this, that, or the other thing over the next 10 years, but their plan is just to flip it. This is what comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. They wrote the following. It has become accepted uh, wisdom 
that the highest levels in the industry that another deal awaits in the wings for Warner Brothers Discovery. For reasons related to the complicated structure of that merger, no negotiations can officially happen until April of 2024. But at that point, many industry observers believe that Comcast's Brian Roberts will make a long-awaited move looking to combine NBC Universal and Warner Brothers Discovery. That deal would face some interesting antitrust issues, but would give his company scale and a viable streaming service. Obviously, Peacock sucks, says one executive with knowledge of both companies. There are some good synergies, and I think that is Zaslav's endgame. Get the place sold. That comes to us from the folks of The Hollywood Reporter. Now, look, let me preface all of this by reminding you guys that I have been a big fan of the moves that David Zaslav has made with Warner Brothers. Because I, over the last couple of years, have made this big laundry list of things that I think Warner Brothers needs to do with their overall thing and with DC, in comes David Zaslav, and he starts doing all the things that I said that I think they need to do. So clearly, I love what the guy's doing because he's doing exactly what I thought they should do. The concept, though, that they just stepped in to buy this just to flip it and sell it to an NBC Comcast, which is a monstrous company, I got to tell you, I don't know how I feel about that. Now, it puts some moves that David Zaslav has made in the last couple of weeks into sharper context, because the idea is if you want to flip it, well, what are you going to do? You're going to go in, you're going to try to remove a bunch of it, because you're going to do what you think it's going to make it look more valuable. So you're going to get rid of some liabilities, you're going to take away some of the, the red ink, you're going to you know do whatever you can do to all that kind of stuff. And when you look at things like these, some of these smaller shows that they removed just to get rid of some of the licensing fees and to get rid of some of the royalties and back ends that would have to be paid out for them, you're getting rid of those financial liabilities. You're thinking DC needs to look like a good, proper IP. Batgirl, from all reports that we've heard, from all reliable reports we've heard, Batgirl was a terrible movie. So releasing that movie was going to hurt the image of the DCEU kill that, move it away. Suddenly now, it puts a lot of that into better perspective if he is indeed trying to flip it. However, I will not be a fan of this if this is the case. And I say that as somebody who has really liked most of the moves David Zaslav has made, but if this is true, I do not like it. Because what it tells me is that you're moving in to do a quick valuation rather than really looking at super long-term success. Now, I believe a lot of the moves that he has done has been beneficial for longer-term success, but it means that his focus isn't really on longer-term success. His focus is on just getting rid of the, the, the stuff that's sucking money out of the company, try to better position it, blah, 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 blah. But I'll tell you the other thing I really don't like. The other thing I really don't like about it is this, is the disappearing of the major studios. Because the more major studios we have making films, a bigger diversity of films we get, a a wider scope of voices we get, whereas one company may not be making something hot this year, another company may be. A great illustration of this for me, Rob, I've gone back to this many times, is the whole X-Men thing. When Comcast was bidding against Disney to try to buy Fox, even though I'm a big Disney fan, everybody was perplexed to hear me say, I'm cheering for Comcast. I want Comcast to win this. Why? Because if Fox had been under Disney, Deadpool never would have been made. 
If Fox had been under Disney, Logan, one of the, I believe, top three comic book movies ever made, never would have gotten made. A movie like X-Men Days of Future Past, which I believe is a top 10 comic book movie of all time, never would have been made. Now that it's under Disney, if at the time I would have said, if it goes under Disney, they're going to make some great movies, no doubt. But it's going to be the same kind of movie. And it's going to be, you know, the Disney style. It's going to be the, the current Marvel style. And I loved the idea of there being another studio with that property that can make different types of films that Disney would not make. And when you have more players in the game, you have that. And the notion right now, Rob, to me, of Warner Brothers just being absorbed, like you have these two major studios out there, and another one is just going to disappear, again, limiting and shrinking the, the playing field even more. Maybe there's upside to this that I'm just not seeing right now because I've only been able to process it for a couple of days. Give me a few months and maybe I'll think differently. But if this Hollywood Reporter report is true, right now, and I reserve the right to change my mind when I get more information, but right now, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And it, it makes me very, very nervous. That, that, that's something like historic uh, property, a historic studio like Warner Brothers can just be looked at like another asset, like a house that you got to flip. It, it, and again, we don't know for sure this is true. We don't know for sure that it's true, but if it is true, it, it it makes me concerned. Anyway, Chris, you hear about this. What are the parts that you take away from it? Well, first of all, I'm more of a love it or list it gal. <laughs> I love love it or I list love it. love it or I list love it. That they're show. great. They're so, I, those two have weird sexual chemistry too, where you're like, they're going to punch each other or they're going to make out. I oh, don't they, know why they're, they're so They've totally angry. boned many yeah, times. I totally believe that. They're just furious with each other at all times. The thing here is, <laughs> it, it seems like, such a, a weird, weird move. I understand it financially. I really, really do. To trim the fat, scale down, and make something that's desirable for somebody else to purchase. I don't think you bring in an Alan Horn to make that move. Mm, I don't yeah. think you do that because I believe Alan's here to help with the building of things, right? Right now we're in that kind of fire sale of what must go. And I think we have these other members of the team being assembled for the creation of things. That being said, if this were to happen, if they are to just list it to somebody else, it's a definite possibility. I know people in the chat are asking if they legally could even do this. Of course they could. Of oh, course absolutely they could. can. Yeah. 100% they it's, can. It's just a, a sale and there would just be contracts in place that would deal with this. It really would bum me out to lose something as iconic as Warner Brothers and have their identity further diminished because we have so many of these mergers already happening and having so many companies under these various umbrellas... It, I love the iconography of old Hollywood. I really, really do. Yeah. And one of the things I loved and got the most excited about when I moved to LA for the first time was just driving through this little hillbilly from Texas, was seeing the studios and driving past Warner Brothers lot and everything. And I just, I know those places would still physically be here, but I love the idea of them too. And I really, really hope that Warner Brothers gets to be its own entity. Rob, you're, you're hearing this story. I mean, listen, th this has been a nonstop uh, things happening ever since this merger took place. You hear about this; these reports coming out of the Hard Reporter. What's your takeaway from it? I think it's terrible. I think it's insidious. I think it's also bad for American democracy. Because I heard a story on that's a big leap. I heard I heard an NPR story this weekend. It was a report on how all the larger larger publishing companies are trying to consolidate to the point where there's only going to be a few publishers that are publishing yeah. novels. Yeah. The same thing is true. Look, corporations are the enemy of free thought and free expression because it affects their bottom line. And if anything affects their bottom line, there's gonna be our ability to, to, to tell stories 
is a very important component of our democracy. And the more that corporations are controlling that flow of what stories are being told, how they're being told, and who's telling them, ultimately, I think, is a it's not good for a free society where we need the free flow of ideas and the, the way to examine things. And storytelling, movies, the rise of movies in the 20th century was one of the most powerful storytelling forces we've ever seen in the history of humanity. Now, the diversity of studios, of things they wanted to do, like Warner Brothers was known for their noir, you know, their, their, their gangster movies like in the 30s, you know, Top of the World, Ma, or whatever. The more that we consolidate underneath corporate banners, the less we're going to get diverse, interesting stories. Like you pointed out, no Deadpool, no Logan. We need, and that's just one example. That, yeah, it's just yeah. one example. And the problem is these corporations don't care about storytelling. They don't care about that. They, they look at it as an asset, understandably. But it's not just that the studios, it's the fact that the studios now are sitting on, Warner Brothers is celebrating its 100th anniversary next year. It's sitting on a legacy. I heard once that there's 70% of the things that Warner Brothers have made throughout the 20th century are not even available in any format because they still have to go through and, and, and put them out. Now, by losing Warner Brothers underneath Comcast, now all of a sudden these behemoth corporations, I mean, they're going to look at, like, what do we need this product for? We're not making any money from these movies. There's only like 20 movies people want to watch anyway. Let's concentrate on those. The rest of this crap doesn't matter. And we're losing part of our culture. Now, I know that's naive for me to say, I'm a capitalist, but to see that our ability, the, the free flow of ideas and the free flow of thought is now being diminished by the fact that these, these purveyors of culture are being sucked up by larger and larger corporations that just see them as money-making entities, I think it's unfortunate. And I think ultimately it's leading to the diminishment, the, the, the sort of erosion of our culture. In a way, and, and I mean, culture as a force, that's why human beings have art. That's why we don't just want to make money. That's why we're not just all farmers. You know, some people get into things because we still, as human beings, dream of the future or dream of better lives or dream of something else other than what we are. And movies are the very basis of that. That was why they became so powerful in the 20th century. And we need the ability to dream in our culture. That's what the engine that drives us forward really is. There wouldn't be any great business if someone never dreamed of a better life for themselves or their whole family. Sure. Now, I, I'm hearing people say things like, "There, it's all, it already is all big corporations doing it. And that while... Um, you know, maybe they could stifle it. The, the big corporations are the ones facilitating these stories being told in the first place. All that is true. Yeah, I, I think the point that we're making, though, is that I was talking to a filmmaker, a director, a friend of our, you guys know who this person is. I was talking to a filmmaker earlier about this. And what they pointed out was this, is that what happens is that as certain big corporations merge, one takes over another or two just decide to merge, whatever the options for storytellers become more and more limited. You know, it used to be, my friend would say, that if we had an idea for a film, we can go to a studio, they turn it down, don't worry. We've got five, six, seven, eight other places we can we can yep. stop along Sunset Boulevard, pitch that suit. Star Wars, infamously, was turned down by everybody until 20th Century Fox finally said, you know what? Yeah, okay, we'll give this one a go. And they also point out that it's okay. Like, there's so many egos in Hollywood that, hey, if you ruffle the feathers wrong at one studio, it's okay. You still got seven or eight other studios that you can work with. 
what we're hap having happen here now is that, yes, it's still all just corporations. Yeah, we get that. But the thing is now there's fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer options. And the fewer and fewer options that you get, the more limited diversity in storytelling. And by diversity, I, I don't mean representation diversity. I mean types of stories. The kinds of stories. You're getting limited diversity in these types of stories. You're getting limited options of places you can go to. And now you're in a place where if the first four people say no to your story, you've got nowhere else to go. And that's why this concerns me. It concerned me a little bit, unfortunately, when Fox was being absorbed. It's concerning me now that Warner Brothers may get absorbed. Like, I don't mind somebody else buying Warner Brothers. Although I don't like the idea of it being flipped. But yeah. what I'm really concerned about is that it would be Comcast taking them over because that's just the disappearance of another major player. And what is Comcast but a company that wants to use its infrastructure to distribute the product that these studios make? What's really interesting to me about it is, unfortunately, the people that corporations, I mean, obviously, they control the world. Hey, if you watch 1975's Rollerball, there are no more governments at all. There's just Everything corporations. Everything you need to know about life came from 1975's I'm, Rollerball. I'm telling, and network, you know, and but but I do believe, oh, that was later, but I do believe, John, that, you know, the the problem is that movie making and storytelling as a product to be sold, that's what studios do. They're in the business of making movies. Now, they might be owned by someone else, but they have their autonomy. Yeah. And, and with this, they're not going to. I, I, again, I'm just left with this. I wonder, too, if it's going to lead to future uh, theater droughts at the theater because there's fewer movies being put out then. If you're consolidating, you can only well, see so much. Maybe yes, maybe no, depending. I mean, I was talking to another friend of ours today who's, who said it, it really wouldn't impact that. I mean, whether it did or not, because now with a larger scale, you know, and by the way, I don't blame Comcast. I mean, Comcast, the one executive in the quote is right. Peacock, while I'm starting to enjoy it more and more, it struggles, and I think the name didn't do them any favors, but they're struggling. Comcast sees, listen, if we really want to get in this game and we have an opportunity to, to buy up Warner Brothers and HBO, hey, I, I don't blame them. I, I mean, I get that. Yeah, that would really help you out a lot. I get it, but I think for the overall industry, it's going to hurt. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? Maybe you're looking at this and thinking, you know what? This is all like corporate level stuff. We don't care. I get that. But I think ultimately it's going to affect the movies you actually get to watch and enjoy. But I know. How do you feel about it? Whatever those thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's get on to our sixth and final main topic today because this one's interesting. Chris, <laughs> what is our sixth and final main topic today? This is from Terry Gibbons. Hey, John. First time, long time. I know you must be getting sick of talking about Ezra Miller, but man, it just got crazier. Did you see the Vanity Fair article yesterday that laid out Ezra's belief that they are a messiah figure and that the reason they were grooming the young Na uh, Native American girl, the indigenous girl, was that they thought their union with her was going to bring about an aboriginal revolution and the apocalypse. That is something I never thought I would say out loud. What a weird, just friggin' mad lib of nonsense to say. Yeah. Um, listen, the, the Ezra Miller issue is a river that never stops flowing, apparently. Oof. Um, now, look, let me preface all this by saying drama going on with uh, an actor's personal life is not something we generally care about around here. Unless it could have a profound impact on a major much anticipated upcoming significant motion picture uh, in which in this case it really really is and of course we're talking about the ezra miller situation now look we've been talking for years now about 
Ezra Miller from everything from choking the girl outside of the nightclub to breaking into a couple's bedroom and stealing their stuff, other charges of breaking and entering in other situations, being arrested on video saying, I love to get video of myself being arrested because I like to make NFT art out of it. Uh, to, of course, the maybe the most concerning thing, the whole grooming allegations where a girl's parents had to try to file court stuff to try to get their daughter separated from this individual. It's gotten crazier and crazier. Well, Vanity Fair did a pretty big expo on this. I believe it came out yesterday or the day before. And some crazier stuff kind of came out as a part of it. Uh, this comes from the folks at IndieWire write the following in a, a source in the new vanity fair report claimed that Ezra Miller believes themselves to be a Christ-like figure fated to wed 18 year old environmental activist, uh, Dakota iron eyes, whose parents requested a court issued protective order against Miller stating in court documents that the actor met, uh, Tocata six years ago when they were 12 and Miller was 23. Ezra is Jesus and Dakota an apocalyptic Native American spider goddess, and their union is supposed to bring about the apocalypse, a source from Miller's compound in Vermont, dubbed The Mountain, told the outlet. And that's the real reason everyone is so opposed to them being together. Iron Eyes' mother, Jumping Eagle, added, they say they are some kind of messiah and that they are going to lead an indigenous revolution. Okay. One of the things that I... I'm always want to be careful of is not to sound like we are making light of or mocking mental health. All right. We don't want to come across as that. And please understand there is nothing in, in any of the way we accidentally or may inadvertently word things that we are not at all trying to make fun of or make light of mental health issues, not trying to do that at all. Okay. Let me just say that up front. That being said, this is some crazy stuff. This is some really, really crazy stuff. And it elevates because it also puts that whole grooming charge in a very disturbing light. Seeing that my union with this at the time, 12-year-old child, is eventually going to bring about an Aboriginal revolution and our union is going to lead to the apocalypse and all this kind of, it, it just puts that one single charge. Like, forget the other ramifications of any individual saying stuff like this. It puts the context of that particular issue in a really, really disturbing light. Now, recently, Ezra Miller came out and through their representatives made statements saying, like, look, I've been struggling with mental health issues. I've been struggling with stress. I've been, a lot of things, I'm going to seek help. And we were all very, very happy about that because everybody on the planet has been saying, Ezra Miller needs some professional help here. And the fact that they went out to get it, we said, that's a good thing. Good. It doesn't change any of the things, nor does it remove them from having to be held accountable for the things they have done at all. But we're all saying, hey, that's good that you're getting help. Great. Warner Brothers, at this point, you got to remember the current ownership of Warner Brothers inherited this Ezra Miller mess. This wasn't the mess of their creating. They inherited it. And they've been hoping beyond hope that certain things would just disappear, go away, all that kind of stuff. You can't really fire Ezra Miller because they've already made the movie. It's, it's done. There's nothing left for Ezra Miller to do. All you can do is not make movies with them anymore and move on. 
but you're left with this $200 million film that by all accounts and everything we're hearing, Andy Muschietti made a damn good film. Like every reasonable and legitimate report we've been hearing and, and talking to people, they've made a very, very great movie. So you're sitting on that in your Warner Brothers. I know they talked about maybe the possibility, guys, that Ezra maybe could go out and help promote this film. Listen, I still 100% hope nothing but, but the best for Ezra Miller. I hope nothing but good future health and well-being and that they get the help that they need and all that kind of stuff. All that is true. While it is also true when I say there is no way you can ever put Ezra's name on this. There is no way you can march Ezra out to promote this film. There is no way you can do any of that at all. Now, I still believe they released the film because it's done. Again, this is something they're inherited. They got to get the movie out there, all that kind of stuff. I'm not uh, denying that. But any concept that Ezra Miller can be a part of the promotion of this movie anymore, I think is absolutely gone. And how big of an impact will that have on the final box office and people going to see it? Listen, a lot of people don't even know. A lot of the general movie going audience doesn't even know about what's going on here. But I got to imagine this is the final nail in that. I, I'm not really sure. Chris, you hear about this vanity, you read this Vanity Fair. And by the way, Vanity Fair, their expose goes into a lot of other stuff yes. as well. This is just kind of some of the highlights. But can, is there any rehabilitation of Ezra Miller's image between now and then that there's any conceivable way they could be a part of promoting this film? I really don't think so because you need to take the time to get everything sorted here. Ezra Miller's mental health needs to be sorted. The allegations need to be sorted. That can't work on a timetable. That needs to be done in the time that it needs to take. And rushing all of that and rushing treatment so that you can do a press tour? No, 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 no. Um, I highly recommend everyone read this article for themselves, too, because there are some shocking revelations. There are a lot of allegations in this, accusations, behind-the-scenes behavior that is very troubling, if true. Obviously, the majority of these sources are unnamed, as you would typically see in an expose of this sort. But if there is merit to this piece, and it really feels like it does, it really, well, let, really... let's be clear. Vanity Fair is not Gus's movie exactly. station reviews. Vanity right? Fair really, really does do the work and, and vet their sources and everything. And this is just a very troubling piece. It's hard to read through, honestly. And if they did groom a child, that is despicable. That is absolutely despicable. So if that allegation is true, I really, really do not think you can associate Ezra Miller with this film at all. The Flash is a superhero. The Flash saves kids. And, oh, I'm going to get upset about it. Um, I'm having a really hard weekend, you guys. I'm sorry. Um, I think you just have to remove him. I really do. Or them. Excuse me. Rob? Uh, I mean, not, not a lot here that we hadn't heard before, but the context that Ezra Miller seemed to have with all this seems disturbing i don't know what do you think no I, I look the article is definitely disturbing a lot of unnamed sources talking about a lot of it's the only thing that that you know we've heard from that that woman the girl herself that said a lot of this stuff that people are saying is untrue i mean she's come out she said that on instagram and it's not like we heard that ezra miller we, we've he's not gotten up on on a in a video and made these these comments but the article itself lays out accusations and things that seem pretty um pretty legitimate the fact that everybody's unnamed 
I don't understand why they have to be unnamed when they're saying, because they're, these are serious, like you said, serious accusations. So I definitely think that it's something that needs to be looked into. Um, and that's all I can say. The only other thing I can say is, is I mean, look, if someone's declaring themselves a messianic force and the spider goddess is going to lead us all for the Aboriginal revolution, I mean, that's some serious, there's some serious mental issues going on. Mm -hmm. And I would say that those regardless are being, are being tended to. And, and I just, it's hard to say, John. I mean, I, I just think as long as people are getting the help they need and a lot of people are looking into this on many different levels. I'm confident that decisions will be made moving forward. That will be the right ones because this situation is so extreme that it has to be dealt with properly and carefully. Yeah. And like you were saying, John, too, it, it is an explanation, but it's absolutely not an excuse. So all of these things just need to be dealt with in their proper order. And, and hopefully everyone comes out of this with all the help they need. Yeah. And again, when we say that we are happy that Ezra is now seeking help and we are relieved to hear that's true, that is in no way saying that now there's no more consequences. Exactly. No, no, no. no. Exactly. They, they, there still has to be accountability for what has happened. There still need to be consequences. All that is true. And it is also true at the same time to say it is a good thing that they are getting help. But, you know, again, every time something like this comes up, it brings up the question again. What does Warner Brothers do? Not with Ezra, because it's clear. You, you, It's been clear for a while. You never work with Ezra again. Don't think you can have Ezra promote this. But what do you do with the movie? Now, Fox and Disney was recently in a similar situation with a lot of the disturbing Army Hammer stuff, and they were sitting on this Death on the Nile movie. Ultimately, they decided that, hey, every single other person of the thousands of people who worked on this movie had nothing to do with what was going on with Army Hammer. They all worked super hard in this movie. They poured a lot of love, passion in this movie. The movie still deserves to be released, even though somebody who worked on it may be something awful. So that keeps coming up with with the flash again, I, I I still am of that belief that, listen, I don't see why Andy Muschietti needs to be punished uh, and Andy Muschietti's career needs to be hurt or any of the other performers in this movie or the writers or the, the set designers or the costume designers or the, the, the gaffers or whatever need to be hurt because one individual has a lot of issues going on. But I, I, again, I can totally see why other people would feel differently about that. Chris, let me put it to you right now. Warner Brothers seems to be in a position that is in Warner Brothers' best interest to release the film. Do you think they release the film and should they release the film? I honestly don't. I don't want Andy Muschietti punished. I don't want the other cast, crew, incredible VFX artists, all of those people punished and not have their hard work seen. But there's just so, there's such a dark cloud over this film right now. And I feel like you just take the L on it, honestly. I, do, again, don't want to take away from everyone else's hard work on it. And it's a really, really hard position to be in. But I just, I don't, I don't see it doing well or being something that audiences should be a part of right now. But, but let me ask this to both of you. What is the downside to Warner Brothers releasing? I mean, uh, from a practical point of view, what negative thing happens if they release the film? Well, they're condoning are they back. is releasing because like was was fox releasing death on the nile i'm playing devil's advocate right right sure but was fox releasing death on the nile in theaters was that fox condoning the behaviors of no but i i think you made the point that you have a character who's playing a superhero 
you know, that is supposed to be that kids are going to watch this and be influenced by. And it's almost like, look, I want to, I want to make light of this somehow. I want to be able to say, you know, I kind of would like to live in a world where a spider goddess is leading a revolution of Aboriginal people. That might, that might be something that could give us nice, great social change. <laughs> Unfortunately, like a Neil Gaiman plot. Uh, I, I was going to say it's going to be like American gods or it's going to be something like that. But, mm-hmm. but I really do think that these allegations are very serious and, I, I just, there's too much of it. And the fact that you're putting this person at the forefront, the question will be by everybody. If these are true, how can we, There, this person's going to be influential whether we want him to be or not. Kids are going to watch The Flash. They're going to see this movie. They're going to see a superhero being uh, uh, embodied by Ezra Miller. And they're going to say, I want to be like that person. And is that what we say to the and, the and young people of the earth. Ezra's done a very great job as the Flash yeah. in other yeah, things I, that we've I've seen. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I love Ezra's performance. I, I enjoy this very yeah. Allen. I think Ezra Miller has had an incredible acting career. And I, I know it's also naive to say this person is not the influence that people need right now. I understand that. That's not a fiscally responsible thing. But if you're asking about how I personally feel about it, it just doesn't sit right with me. They put the movie out. Do people go see it? I'm sure people will. You yeah. think so? I'm sure people will. Because you know what? I'll tell you. I'll see it. I'll see it. I want to see it. It's the Flash. But we don't need it. We Listen, man. We don't well, need it. Well, no, no. I mean, that's true. We don't need this don't movie. Need it, it, it goes beyond this movie. And you know, now. Warner Bros. is like, eh, it's just another $300 million it, it, it on our $50 billion debt that we're carrying. Yeah, we'll just sell it to Comcast. Eh. Yeah, I, it's... It's going to be really interesting to see how this evolves. I mean, again, what I think what we're all in agreement of is you cannot make the movie again with a new actor. Like, I think we're all in agreement. That, that's something they can't do. That's just financially unrealistic. It's not something that's even remotely possible. And it opens so, a can of worms up with SAG doing deep fakes and things like that, too. Oh, absolutely it does. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, it is a sticky situation. I feel for Andy Muschietti in this scenario. I feel for Warner Brothers because they just inherited this problem. I just don't know what what you do with it. It's going to be interesting. Like, I, I think at the end of the day, here's what's going to happen. They're going to put the movie out. I, I think at the end of the day, they're going to put the movie out. I think it's still going to make a decent amount of money because I think the most average going movie audience doesn't even know about any of this stuff. I think they're going to hide Ezra Miller as much as they can to keep that out of the spotlight as much. I don't even think they're going to do a press tour. And we were joking about it before, but I'm dead serious. I think this movie gets renamed to Batman Flashpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they rename the movie. Um, they're going to do everything they can do to try to separate themselves. Whether that happens or not, time will tell. Questions for you guys. What do you think about this? What do you think Warner Brothers will do? What do you think Warner Brothers should do? If it comes out in theaters, do you think people are still going to go to see it? It's a complicated can of worms. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with all that down, let's hear from you guys about what you guys have to say about any or all this stuff. We are now going to open up the super chats and you guys can jump on in and leave your thoughts or opinions on any or all the topics that we discussed here today. Uh, be rather quick because we are only going to leave the super chats open for like a minute. So go ahead and fire those in now. But before we get to those, we want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's show, our friends and my cell phone service provider, Mint Mobile. 
Hey guys, we want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month. And now for the plot twist. I'm just kidding, there isn't one. Seriously, Mint Mobile just has premium wireless service from 15 bucks a month. There's no trapping you into a two-year contract or opening the bill to find these crazy fees. There's no luring you in with free subscriptions to streaming services that you'll forget to cancel and be charged full price for. I used to dread opening my phone bill every month because every time I was opening it, it was like playing roulette. I never knew what the actual price was going to be and it always seemed to get higher, but not with Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And if you're worried about the complication of switching things over, don't. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So guys, get premium wireless from just 15 bucks a month and no unexpected plot twists at mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Seriously, you'll make your wallet very happy at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our wonderful friends at Mint Mobile for sponsoring our episodes of the John Campia Show. Okay, guys, I told you we are moving on now to live questions. We're going to start with our beloved channel members. So, Ray, what do we got? Yeah, we got a couple. So, we Kendall Barker writes, they really should... They really should release the Flash in December. That window is rapidly shrinking where they can still profit off of it. Listen, I've said for a long time, dude, that if Warner Brothers was smart, they would move the release date for Flash up, get it out there before more stuff can come out and make the situation worse. So I 100% agree with you. It's not going to happen, but I think you're absolutely right. All right, what's next? Uh, Jeff Yerke writes, Rob, love from Mrs. Y. I don't know. I don't want to know. Jeff, you know how much I love you too, but that's a little weird, buddy. (laughs) You give all my best to Mrs. Y from a purely, you know, I'm in Southern California. You're in Northern California. All my love to her, but to you too, Jeff. All right. What's next? Nicole Blake writes, hope you had a great time at the Jerry Seinfeld show. Oh, I did. Love your channel and your team is brilliant. You guys keep inspiring me as I'm getting ready to launch my podcast. That's awesome. Thanks for everything. Well, good luck on launching the podcast. And yeah, for those of you who don't know, I got to go see, I've never seen Jerry Seinfeld live. And Anne has never heard Jerry Seinfeld and never watched the Seinfeld show. How and is so, that possible? I mean, she's heard Me of too. Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. She's never heard Jerry Seinfeld. So we go to this, we went to, uh, to watch him live the other night. Anne was in physical pain. Her abs were in physical, she was, her eyes were all tearing from laughing so hard. I have never seen Seinfeld funnier. We were, and he had this opening comedian, something Schiff was the, the name of the opening. And the opener dude was so freaking funny. I mean, we laughed ourselves sick. We've gone to a lot of comedy shows and there's nothing worse than going to a bad comedy show, but there's few things as good as going to a good one. This was one of the, this is a top three best comedy show I'd ever been to. And so if you guys get a chance to see Seinfeld live, if he comes anywhere near your area, I highly recommend it because we were dying laughing. He was, he was better than ever. Better than ever. All right, what's next? Um, Mighty Tank One writes, can Taylor give us a quick review of Woman King? Ooh, that movie was so good. I'm seeing it tonight. Yeah, you're going to love it. You're in for a treat. I, if I had to give a quick review, I would just say, badass. All right, <laughs> what's next? Okay. Um, Jin the Jedi writes, it's the 2022 Squid Games of the movie industry. The end game is to get in as many homes as possible even if that means souring said industry 
I'm not quite sure what that means. Maybe he's referring to you guys talk of uh you know corporations stuff, yeah. uh it's like the squid. It's all game. about streaming, you know, getting the most subscriptions and all that. Everything sacrificed on the altar of streaming services, I guess. Uh, I think he's referring to that story. Yeah, that maybe. I mean, with. it's just it's it's a it's a troubling, troubling thing. Like we've talked before about, we're going to see streaming services merging because there's because they because it's the wild west right now. We're at the we're at the dawn of it. So you get uh, you're going to have this sloth of massive amounts of streaming services come out and then some are going to fall away and die. Some will merge into together and then you'll get to what the industry is really going to look like in the next 20 years. But the, the major studios merging, this is concerning. It's crazy because at first everyone was saying, we got too many subscriptions, too many streaming services. Well, yeah, and then all of them are going to be bought up and it's just going to be, two they're just going to charge more. Yeah. You know, and you're just going to be paying the same amount. At, well, no, you already are. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like streaming right now, I remember when streaming was starting, I was saying, it's going to be great because ca cable is so expensive. It's going to be way cheaper. Guess what? Streaming is way more expensive <laughs> than cable used to be. It's way more expensive now. All right, okay. what's next? GC Knight Walker writes, they be delaying Craven till we be craving for it because move, move aside morning time, it's Craven time. Morning time, <laughs> Craven. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I read that wrong. Again, you know, yeah, Rob, you you're probably right about that whole thing. It is probably a visual effects housing because we're seeing it affect other things too. But that that a nine month delay that's a significant that's a significant delay. I mean, it is possible to think, well, look, this movie won't do well in the summer, so we can't drop it in the summer. So maybe October was the first viable date they thought. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> more than enough time for me to finish. To finish Morbius. <laughs> all right, it. what's next? That's all I got. That's it? Yep. All right. Let's move over now to the Super Chats you guys have been sending in. Chris, what do we got? Ryan Lawner says... Well, first, Marie. Oh, Marie down there. Thank you for that support, Marie. Thank you, That's Marie. Wonderful. Ryan Lawner, here's something to blow your mind. The next James Bond movie is going to include the phrase, His Majesty's Secret Service. If only that wasn't said earlier in the show today already. <laughs> okay, mind blown. Uh, we uh, Maybe you joined the show a little bit late today. <laughs> I already kind of mentioned that. All right, what's next? From... Uh, Ismail Montoya. All right, John, spill the beans. What did you see about Black Panther 2? Let the interrogation begin. Yeah, right. Filthy. I ain't saying nothing. Nice try. I ain't saying nothing. I, I said a little bit to these guys, mm -hmm. but I am not saying anything, not a thing else. All right, what's next? From Andy, one of two. When I read the title for today's show and heard Chris read the email, it sounded so absurd, I honestly thought that this was an episode of Riverdale. I'm... <laughs> I, I'll be, oh, got trying to take the issue seriously because it is. But John, reading that Vanity Fair article made it sound like me when I recapped Riverdale. It episode. really did. It really sounds like an actual live action manifestation of an episode of Riverdale. Yeah. And again, I am in no way, shape or form do I have any intent of trying to make light of mental health issues. Not at all. But this is ridiculous. Like, and it just keeps every time something happens and we think, well, it can't get stranger than this. And then eight other things happen. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I just, I, I, you know what? Warner Brothers right now has to be like King Viserys in that meme standing outside. Like every time an Ezra Miller thing happens, it's like, uh, like it's just, it's this problem that they inherited from somebody else who didn't deal with it when it should have been dealt with. And, uh, and here we are. All right. What's next? From Luis Enrique de la Pena. Last Friday was Mexico's Independence Day. Oh, nice. Do you have a favorite Mexican dish that's not tacos? Burrito. I, I, listen, I'm not very big on anything but straight, boring North American kind of food other than Italian. But even my Italian food palate is pretty limited. Pasta, meat sauce, yay. Um, veal, whatever. But 
I, I'm not really like, I'm not even really big into a lot of Filipino cuisine. I'm not really, I'm not into Indian cuisine. I'm not into a lot. Some of the best cuisines in the world. I have a very boring, boring palate when it comes to food. So uh, a burrito and it's a specific burrito, no beans in it. Cause I don't eat beans and I don't like salsa and I don't like pico de gallo. What? Yep. So my burrito oh, John, is as follows. Yep. It is rice, chicken, cheese, some avocado, and of course, sing it with me, sour cream. Uh, that is my burrito of choice. And maybe replace the chicken with some carne asada, but uh, that, that's my uh, that's my favorite. Mis- you guys have a favorite Mexican dish? I, I do enchiladas or chili relleno. I like a great chicken enchilada with some great homemade mole. Mm-hmm. All right. What's Chia next? Chilaquiles. Or, or well, I don't know. I can't even pronounce it. What's it called? Chilaquiles. Chilaquiles. Yeah. yeah. All right. There you go. What's next? Wraith X7. Instead of the Young Avengers, Marvel could be introducing a, ne- uh, a next into the MCU, which came out several years before Young Avengers and had an adult ca- uh, Cassie on the team as the hero Stinger. I have never heard of a next. Uh, that, that's one of the things that is. Have you heard of this, Rob? Yeah, but there's a reason why. <laughs> no one's heard of got it. The Young Avengers. <laughs> you know? All right. What's next? From Edgar Magna. Uh, going to see Jeepers Creepers 4 tonight. Oh, I forgot There's that was even... Is that coming out? I, I totally I forgot is. about it. Listen, the first Jeepers Creepers movie is in my top 10 favorite horror films of all time. I love that. Justin Long was in that. I I love that movie. I haven't liked anything else Jeepers Creepers related, but that first movie's fantastic. All right, what's next? From Sam Fisher. Rob, in case you missed it, Diamond Select just announced a Moon Knight gallery statue from the Moon Knight show. It's 12 inches tall and is priced at $54.99. I wish there was a comic version, not just the show at that price. I want to see this. Yeah, I do too. I mean, look, their Hot Toys is making a Moon Knight figure from the Moon Knight series. I just, like, I really like the Moon Knight statue you got me. Yeah. That's a dope statue. The pose is great. I'd have to see it, but, but. You know, I, this, the series itself was not my favorite thing. Tell you what, Diamond Select, they some of their stuff looks cheap toy. Some of their stuff looks really good. Yes. And it's a fraction of the cost. Oh, is that it? I'm not huge on that one. But some of the stuff they make is, fant- is fantastic. Not hot toy quality, but, but reasonably close, but for a fraction of the price. Yeah. Yep. So they do some good stuff. All right, what's next? From Sam Fisher. Oh, that we just that did that Sam. one. And, and that one. Yeah. From Al Renshaw. At this point, why not just release the Flash in November and retitle it Batman Flashpoint with a new trailer? That's what I would do. It's would yeah. Do. I I listen. We've been saying that for months. That if you are Warner Brothers, the smart move again. Maybe there's a visual effects backlog, but they've been working on this a long time. Mm-hmm. The smart move would have been to move up that release date and just get it in theaters as fast as you can. Because I'm telling you. The longer they wait, the more of this, the more of these Vanity Fair articles are going to come out. I'm just t- I said that before, and here we are. And if I, so, listen, um, David Zaslav, Alan Horn, if you're listening, release this movie, get it out as quick as you can, because nothing good is going to come out. If you're adopting the strategy of if we wait longer, it'll get out of the news. It's the opposite. It's getting worse. Release this movie as soon as you can and get it in your rearview mirror and then move on. Anyway, it's my thought, but there's a reason you guys get paid the big bucks and I don't. All right, what's next? From Elizabeth Harado, they need to release The Flash before more things get uncovered. I, I mean, a, a thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, thousand- this is this is the this is the same idea of like holding a stock as it's dropping. You're just like you can't hit the sell button because you're just like, uh, but what if it turns around? This is so bad. I'm losing so much money. And then you wake up the next day, you're like, I lost even more money, and you're just not hitting the sell button. Like I, I still, <laughs> I still have like over 500 shares of Blockbuster. I, I just believe any day now, it's gonna <laughs> turn back, around. Baby. Just gonna turn around. It's seen its worst days. <laughs> All right. Well, they are doing that TV series. That that's true, which I oh. am looking forward to. I mean, who knows? There might be a renaissance. <laughs> Ooh. All right, what's next? From Sam Fisher. Rewatch Stardust this weekend. Nice. It wasn't as good as I remember, but still a lot of fun. I forgot how much fun the princes and Captain Shakespeare were. I love I, that movie. I think it is. The, like I, I often say that Man of Steel is the most underrated comic book film of all time, and it is. The most underrated movie of movie of all time is Stardust. That movie, I, I refer to it when I first saw it, it's The New Princess Bride, and I watch it at least once a year. I It has never lost its potency for me personally, but yeah, if you guys... And, and what other movie can you go and see Daredevil and Superman in the same movie? Henry Cavill, Charlie Cox, Charlie Cox is the lead, but also... Robert Nero, Michelle Pfeiffer, um, uh, uh, Claire Danes. Claire, thank you, Claire Danes. The, the the movie that made me fall in love with Claire Danes, Peter O'Toole, for heaven's sake. This Ricky Gervais is great, and it is so magical. If you haven't seen Stardust, make sure you go watch. Can't really call it the new anymore, though. It's almost yeah, 25 it's, it's years been old. a while. But at the time, it was the new Princess Bride. That's, that's actually it's a great topic old. to think about. Like, what movie did you rewatch the second time, and it was not as good as you watched? You thought the first time you watched it. I don't know. That's something to think about. The Star Wars prequels. It got worse every time I saw them. I definitely remember movies wrongs like wrong. Like I went and watched Willow. I was like, oh, I made up a whole bunch of plot points for this movie that do not exist. <laughs> Bad mod again. All right, what's next? From Suthius. If anyone is a fan of Jeremy, Richard, and James, their new Grand Tour episode is finally out on Amazon where they tackle the Scandinavian Arctic Circle. Okay, so these guys, I know very little about it, but I know they were the hosts of what I think was like the most popular show in the world. What was the name of it again? Top Gear? Top Gear. They They were the hosts of Top Gear. And it was, I think for a good period of time, it was literally the biggest show worldwide. And then there was some controversy around one of them. So I think the network... Don't hold me to this, okay, because I don't follow it really closely. But there was some controversy with one of them. So the network was going to fire them. The other two said, screw that, then we're gone too. And they all left. So they brought in a new host for Top Gear. But then another network picked up all three of them and started their own thing that was called, what's it called now? Grand Tour or whatever. Yeah, so. And now it's become really big. So I don't, again, I don't really follow it. I don't know much about it. But Rob, do you know much? Well, I don't know much. But I was going to say, you know what the really important thing that we should mostly be focusing on? is the fact that the new season of The Great British Baking Show it's has started. Back. It's back. And I'm not only so is it back, excited. but, John, Netflix is releasing it on a weekly basis. Yeah, yeah. I think they were. They've that one was that, yeah. on a weekly. Yeah, they, they are, they'd already started magical. their experiment with that one. It, it works. I, I'm a big food show guy. Like, food and, and property, like real estate movies or shows, I eat them up. I have never seen a single thing of the Great British Bake Off. It's and everybody dude, loves it. I've never seen it. You would love it because unlike most American cooking shows, right? It's all camaraderie of them being like, oh no, let me come help you. I'm so sorry. It's it's so <laughs> this is more charming. Canadian. Yeah, you'll love it. It's it, so cute. It, it is. It's like, it's, it's the most heartwarming, yeah. uh, uplifting thing you'll ever see. Not only that, but it's actually creatively very satisfying. 
Also, Top Gear is super, super fun. Jeremy Clarkson, better than anyone else in the world, says this great phrase, in the world. And I think about it probably once a week where I'll be like, that's the greatest sandwich I've ever had in the world. All right. What's next? Andy, thank you for talking about the problems of corporate consolidations, Rob. I loved you for your physical media and ASMR, but I love you even (laughs) more now. Why? Thank you very much, Andy. Much appreciated. All right, what's next? (laughs) From uh, Scotty Hale, I just finished Last of Us 1 and 2. Want your thoughts, which opener is better, the run or the guitar? The guitar is pretty powerful. Like if we're talking about the one that was leading into the second one, that that guitar one was was really moving. I think that they released that like a year before the game came out. But yeah, that to me is one of the best ones ever. I don't know what you guys think. I feel like you do need the first game, though, to really have the impact. Sure. Of it, so. Yeah, you're absolutely right. One builds on top of the other. 100%. I'm actually I do replaying like The Last of Us again. <gasps> Every once in a while, I just got to go back and I'll do the part two as well. Oh, Very man. nice. All right. What's next? From Sin Vendetta. Hey, Rob, happy to see you survived your drive on the 15 freeway. <laughs> Can't stand driving that freeway because there's always construction happening. Always try to avoid it whenever I can. Well, I made a video this morning of my drive on the 15 or on the 10. It was very annoying. I mean, they they literally, they closed the lane, but they don't tell you. And they close the lane, so you're, you're stuck in traffic and you don't know why. And then you find out they've closed the lane and you're 30 minutes late already. I don't have like to that. take, I mean, I am quite fond of the 15 because the 15, I, I live very close to the 15. And all I got to do is jump on the 15, turn on autopilot. And three hours later, I'm in Vegas. Yeah, the 15th. <laughs> the I love the 15th. It literally takes me straight into Vegas. It's just getting there by yeah. the 60 or the 10 or the 210. Now we sound like that Saturday Night Live sketch. Yeah, well, they were the Californians. The Californians. Yes. All right, what's next? From Amin, which Hans Zimmer score is your favorite? Inception, Interstellar, or Dune? Out of those three? Because my favorite is Man of Steel. Probably Inception. Yep, by far. Yeah, Interstellar is very good. I really like Interstellar. For me. Yeah, Yeah, Interstellar is also very, very good. But, I mean, the Dune one is... They're all good. I was going to say, none of these are clunkers. Yeah, none of them are like the the ugly... (laughs) But but Inception has that peace time that you can listen to that's just iconic. All right, what's next? From CJ Rebirth. I don't know if any of you grew up with Playhouse Disney like me. What's up, buddy? But one of its best shows is finally coming to Disney Plus in October. Bear in the Big Blue House! I've never ah! even heard of this. What is oh this? Oh my gosh. They were all Jim Henson Muppets and Bear was really? like a big suited Muppet, kind of like Sweetums. Um, oh, it was so charming. That's how I learned how to brush my teeth. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that. Yes. No wonder. Wait, no one, <laughs> no one taught you how to brush your teeth? The bear. I don't have a dad. He doesn't have a dad, Rob. What about your mom? No, that I don't explains have a mom. so much. Taylor, Taylor. sprouted one I day. Disney. <laughs> all right. What's next? From, oh, if we could scroll down just a smidge. Please? From someone from Orlando, Orego. <laughs> hey guys, I was at the Lady Gaga concert this past Saturday in Miami where she had to stop due to a storm coming through. Any of you guys went to a concert and they had to stop in the middle of the show? Well, oh, this was spooky. I, I have fortunately never been to a concert where they had to stop in the middle of the show, but that just recently happened in LA. Um, and it was at a show that I was going to get surprised and with, with tickets to. It was uh, Good Canadian Kid the Weekend. Yeah. Was performing at SoFi. And apparently, the night that I was going to get tickets for Ann, he got like two songs in and said, guys, my voice is gone. I, I can't continue. And they they did what was right. They refunded everybody's tickets. But that would suck. <laughs> John, you know who didn't stop playing in the middle of a storm? Who's in that? the middle of a gigantic, torrential, tropical downpour? Moses. Is it Blackpink? 
Prince oh. Oh. at the Super Bowl. I mean, that was one of the greatest performances ever. It's almost as he, if he when he was playing Purple Rain, the, 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 the rain came down. Prince never stopped. And who guess is, who has a hot toy of that? This guy. Well, it's a third party. It's a custom figure, but yes, it's just as good. The Gaga one was scary, though. The lightning was striking really, really close to the stage and to actual like spectators yeah. too oh, during yeah. the rain okay, downpour. Well, you gotta, yeah, then you got to cancel. Yeah, that. You or else you're gonna oh, get sued. She posted this really, really heartfelt video too, just sobbing, being like, "I'm really sorry I couldn't finish, I but saw that. like I want to keep you safe, and I'm in a place as a performer where I finally recognize that I need to be safe too." And it right. was. Woof. Was that here? Or was that so far? It was in Miami. It was in Miami. Miami. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. What's next? From Al Renshaw, did you guys, uh, did you ever catch that guy filming the bus fight scene in Shang-Chi is the same guy in that Uber Eats commercial, Zach Cherry. He's in a bunch of, he's also, he's, on severance. he's in severance. I mean, he's, he's popping up in a lot of different places. So good on that guy. Mm-hmm. I, by the way, I was, a friends of mine came over and I was showing them the theater room for the first time. So the thing I like to pop on to show people the theater room is the bus scene in Shang-Chi and that guy, every time I see it, he just makes me just the, his delivery of the lines. Like, it's like okay, so I'm I took a little karate. I'm gonna try to uh, rate this fight. It's going. On. I'm just like the way he delivers. <laughs> it just absolutely kills me. I love it. I wonder if he got snapped. Ooh, that's the big question. That could be like a Marvel short. <laughs> that guy got snapped. <laughs> All right, what's next? From Andrew Rice, what are Yin's thoughts on Clerks 3 and Samaritan? I've seen both and thought they were good. Dante needs an Oscar. I am, I I meant to watch Clerks 3 this weekend, but I had an insane weekend and I just, I wasn't, that's why I'm only going to go see The Woman King finally tonight. I finally got my tickets for it, but I couldn't do it on the weekend. So I am dying to see Clerks 3. I'm hearing really, really good things about it. And I haven't, just because of all the mixed negative things I've heard about Samaritan, I haven't decided (laughs) to watch it. I don't know. I was looking forward to it after they showed us the previous (laughs) word at CinemaCon, but then they dumped it on streaming instead. And it's like, oh, well, that doesn't bode well. So I haven't seen that one yet. All right, what's next? From Ben Rayner, when I saw something happen in Cobra Kai season five, I've turned into Peter Griffin. I said out loud, he did it. He did the thing. He actually did it. Won't say what the thing was, but yeah, loved it. I think we might be talking about the same thing. I don't know. It sounds like it. It was great. Yeah, I I don't follow it. I watched one episode. Here's the thing. I watched. So like I said, every year, Ann gets me to watch like one episode. So I sat down as Ann was watching this one episode. And again, this is all due respect to the millions and millions of people who love watching this show. But I, it's just, it's just one of those things. I just don't get it because we had this super stereotypical evil Asian lady, like train kids. You must have no mercy. You must kill everybody. There's no room for weakness. And I'm like, this is such a fucking cartoon caricature. Is, is she single? <laughs> <laughs> She was really attractive. I'll, I'll give her that. She was super attractive. But I'm like, why? Why do I just don't get it? But that's the beautiful thing about these stories, man. It's all subjective. Just because it doesn't work for me doesn't, can't, doesn't mean it can't work for everybody else. And we've all got those things, but I'm just like watching this. I'm like, every time I try, say, well, maybe I'll check it out because everybody loves it. I watched like five minutes. I'm like, I don't get why this is popular. But hey, <laughs> more power to it. It's doing great. All right. What's next? 
from Jedediah Elias. Finally saw Rogue One again in theaters last night and nice. really enjoyed it. Didn't like it when I first saw it, but looking back, you can see it. It's, one it's true. Three. You can see it. And that's all we got. Oh, that's how, you yeah, can see that's it. How, yeah. That's it's a right. movie. Listen, I'll tell you, Ann and I went to go see it. when We went to go, We saw it a couple times, but we went to go see it again and it's re-released. Like, I, I knew I loved Rogue One. I forgot how damn good that movie is. There's only one scene I don't like in Rogue One. And I, it's, I cannot remember the name of the monster, but it's, you know, um, Saw Grouse, uh, lies, deceit. Oh, right. We will yeah. have you, have to suck you by and suck on your brain. Right. Whatever the name of that creature Bore was. Oh, Kevin. His name was Kevin. His name was Kevin. <laughs> what was it? More Gullet. More Gullet. Yep. More Gullet will know. It's like, what? What? That whole part was stupid. That whole part was stupid. The more Gullet scene was absolutely unnecessary. You could have taken it out. Wouldn't have changed the damn thing. But other than that, that whole movie is brilliant. That whole movie is incredible. I love it. I just am stoked that we finally might get a hot toy of Saw Gerrera. <laughs> uh, did, did they not have one? No. Huh. Surprising. I hope they do. They should all right. re-release all the Rogue One hot toys. Because we're going to see them in uh, Andor. All right. What's next? From Stubble McShave, Galadriel is too relentless for just revenge. I wonder if she's in some way if she in some way thinks she caused her brother's death. Revenge and guilt could explain her zeal. I don't think that that guilt you can discount that at all. I think it's absolutely part of it. Considering that it was his death that got her motivated to enter the conflict, to enter the fray. And I'm sure we're gonna find out at some point that guilt over the loss is probably part of that. Again, I one of the things I actually appreciate about this character is that they continually continuously show us how flawed of a character she is. From well, I mean, we talked about ad nauseum already. We don't need to go into it again, but I, it's part of the things I like about her, and it makes me look forward to seeing how the next thousand years are going to evolve her into the character we eventually come across as she's played by Kate Blanchett. So anyway, we'll see. All right, what's next? From The Inedible Hulk. With all John's recent praise of balls and partnership with NBC, <laughs> I submit for consideration an idea for the new channel name. Skip. Skip. Thank you. Uh, but thank you for that interesting thought. All right, what's next? Uh, Jai CSC, what are the duties of the guild, SAG, WGA, etc.? Do you? Well, I mean, the guilds protect their membership from being exploited, yes. just like any union, and they act does. as the representatives in collective bargaining. Absolutely, that's exactly yes. right. I mean, and you know, they they make sure that that residuals are administered properly, and they make sure you can get health insurance, and they do a lot of things uh, correct. You know, but basically that's like yeah. just what you said. It's very important when you are a member of that guild to be very proactive in it, just like in politics in real life. If you want to enact change and have things work differently, you need to be there. A lot of times SAG has member uh, town halls at times that do not work for most working actors or individuals. I would love for you to change that, SAG. I would love that. <laughs> And, you know, and they also set min, uh, minimums, pay minimums and things to keep. Oh, yeah, it's all part of the collective bargaining level. and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So like when the actors or let's say when directors need the general rules that are going to be followed by studios, and whatever, that's entered into by collective bargaining and the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, they are the ones who represent all the directors to go in and create those rules, those minimums, those maximums, whatever that now the both the studios and the directors are now governed by and must follow mm -hmm. that's all done by the guilds and then they'll have their own internal rules for their own membership and yeah. stuff like that but the main function of the guilds is to act as the representative in collective bargaining exactly oh i don't know if the wga or anything has stuff like this but sag has a foundation the sag after foundation where you also can take classes for um you're just your member dues basically right. and so you can learn more about self-tape or work with specific casting directors or you know do a dialect class or an engineering class on audio stuff so you can do better voice 
voiceover. It's pretty cool. All right. What's next? From uh, Charles Edmund Nelson sending in a $20 super chat just to do some support. Oh, thank you, Charles Edmund Nelson. I appreciate that very much. And guys, with that... That'll do it for today's installment of the John Camby Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to those of you who sent in those super chats, number one, because it gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the John Campy Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Reminder once again, later today at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we have our House of the Dragon after show open spoiler discussion. Come on back. We're going to talk about the episode and all of its spoilery goodness, and we want to hear from you as well. So we hope to see you there as well. Also, keep your eyes open on the channel. Make sure you subscribe to our channel so you can get notified with t- later today, the next episode of Weekly Hero with Robert Meyer Burnett and Chris Carr uh, goes up on the channel. Keep your guys' eyes open for that. And of course... Thank you again for being here. I want to thank everybody who's in the show today. Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, Chris Carr, Ray Ora back there joining you guys in the live chat and running the show as always, Jonathan Voico. My name's John Campy, guys. We'll see you again tomorrow. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.